Hello and welcome to this live stream. This is the King Heroes Journey podcast and I am back with Tom Barnett today. I feel so lucky to be uh, having a second chance. I think we, it was just a week ago we were talking and today we are, are going to focus on Tom's health expertise. Last time we talked about the, the legal stuff and uh, this is really close to my heart. It looks like uh, from, from the looks of it, just what I've, I've read about you, Tom, you've been through some major health challenges yourself. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've had a lot of new subscribers in the last little while. I'm a cancer survivor. 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with a stage four lymphoma and I tried every way sideways to avoid Western medicine because by that point I had a lot of um, reasons not to trust it. I, I had seen behind the veil and I knew about natural medicine, but I was trying so hard to avoid it that I pulled it in uh, after a year of struggling and, and uh, you know, just staying the same. And, and the next thing you know, I'm going down. It was my own naturopath who said like, go home and do radiation or chemo or whatever it is they, that they offer you. So uh, they threw the book at me. I, I was in treatments, really brutal, awful treatments for three years. After a second diagnosis, I was told I was not going to live through it. And that's when I had my big breakthrough and it, it, it wasn't a medicine or it wasn't even, you know, natural medicine that saved my life. It was it was actually knowing who I am and where I was losing all my energy. So that's uh, one of the focuses that we're going to look at today. Of course, the, the knowledge that you have in health is extensive. I can see that there's endless, endless resources of videos and people interviewing on, on the subject. And, uh, but I also know that you're very tuned into the spiritual side of things, having talked to you about law and even right in your, in your bio, you're talking about that visioning was part of the process of how you've learned to help other people. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Tom studied science and medicine for 10 years. He devoted three years of his studies and research specifically to mold, fungus, bacteria, protozoans, and viruses, which of course is very timely. We'll talk about that. His knowledge, understanding, and opinions concerning viruses is consistent with numerous other highly qualified scientists, doctors, and PhDs. Uh, Tom spent over a decade struggling with chronic fatigue, and um, I, I definitely want to see how you got to the other side of that. He, he said his experiences, including visions and learning methods, have given him a unique education that I see saw, got, you got to the other side of that chronic fatigue because you're tireless king hero now. Yeah. So awesome. And I'll just say hello to everybody in the chat. Hello, Mark Bloom and Billington Bear is here. Lynn Michelle, uh, twice your life, you've given 1% chance of survival as well. Amazing, Lynn, so good. Hello, Jay, I'm glad you're here. Glenn Jay is here as well. And um, I sang O Canada at a, at a rally on Saturday. We had a, and we were part of that wor worldwide rally. Did you guys have a rally there as well, Tom? We had several in the country. Yeah, they are in every major city. That's excellent. So good. We had the biggest turnout we've ever had. It's not that big by comparison. I think Toronto had 5,000. We had about 500, but that was a record breaking five times more than we're usually getting. So yeah, cool. <laughs> extremely, sir. Extremely um, inspiring. And it was so f interesting to get asked to sing O Canada because it's a war song. Like we stand mm. on guard for thee. <laughs> it's like, I said, just, you know, we're singing to a corporation, but let's, let's just have the spirit of freedom and uh, people just let it rip on that, <laughs> on that song. Yeah, so good. So I would love to hear what was that moment where you knew that you were going to help people with their health? 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. It just was an organic process. Uh, same with, I think it started from sports coaching because I was doing a lot of uh, athletics myself and I was always uh, basically self-coached and then people kind of just asked me to help them with what they were doing. And then after I got injured and sick and stuff, I had people just saying, well, you know, can you, can you help me uh, with my stuff? And looking back on it, it doesn't make sense because it was my own lack of ability to manage myself that made me sick and injured that people wanted me to meet but you know it's like i guess they knew what i had learned in the research through um the way that i guess the way sports science works and things so uh, but yeah i really just fell into it organically so um i didn't really feel a calling for it because i uh tend to lead more towards introversion and things anyway i'd much rather you know maybe write a book about something and then have a lot of people learn from it that way but it's um, it's one of those things where rather than having a definite feel of because sometimes I think it's hard for people to, to to discern between what's a calling and what's their ego because a lot of people I've seen them they do a course on something for a weekend and then they the, the whole world needs to find out about my new methodology and stuff as like do they or do you need to actually sit with that for a while and see if it's actually you know what you think it is before you go trying to spread it around you know to a lot of other people and get them to pay you for it so. That's, I think for some people, it is hard to discern between a calling and an, and an egoic, I, I want to do this for whatever reason, for validation or attention or for uh, money or whatever reasons. And so uh, I think that it happened so organically for me with a little bit of resistance along the way, I guess that helps me. Not, I'm not saying that's everyone's path, but for me, that helped me to kind of think, well, you know, maybe this is more of the path that I'm meant to take, at least at the moment, because it seems like something I'm called to do out of service more than something that I just really, really want to do. Mm-hmm. Brilliant distinction. It's so important. And, uh, you know, both ways you win, it might just be a slower road when you go for more of an, uh, an ego thing. And, and you can't, sometimes you can't know until you go for the thing and you see it the other side, yeah. oh, it was empty. Or you see on the other side, oh, it was full, keep going. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and then, and then like, I remember there was at one point someone people more than one people a handful of people and i did this for a time thought that i could teach them to sing and i'm like actually i'm a pretty at the time i was more of a mediocre singer like now i've had a lifetime of practice so maybe not as mediocre right now but i'm like why would you ask me to teach you to sing and and every time they could sing they just needed permission so i was the one Mm. and i and i think it's because maybe i wasn't as as much a rock star that they saw I'm not saying this about you, but that they saw I was approachable compared to somebody that was at a high level that they couldn't see themselves in. And uh, no, it was, it was amazing. Like people would come to me, I can't sing. And then I'd just say, well, just try. And then this like opera voice would come out of them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, you can sing. No problem. Everyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a big topic. The permission, isn't it? It's uh, I totally agree. Totally agree. I think the permission mm-hmm. is a big thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's so simple. It just And that a little bit alludes back to our conversation about law that we are trained to sit and, and go like, am I okay? Am I okay? Do, can, can I do this? Who's giving me permission? Who's accrediting me? Who's giving me the rubber stamp? And it's like, no, you can give it to yourself or with the help of a coach, it, it can come up. So hello, Chance Garten. I was uh, up way too late listening to your podcast last night. He said, I'll just do a quick shout out to Innerverse podcast. He's, he's, uh, Oh yeah, I know Chance. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, Chance is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so good, so good, such a bright mind. And um, yeah, that's beautiful. So, so with your 
what you went through with chronic fatigue syndrome. Do you mind talking about that a little bit, how that affected you? Mm -hmm. Oh, and I wanted to say quickly one more thing that, you know, I also consider myself a cautionary tale. I did all the wrong things to get sick and I saw myself going there. Uh, I made that choice to, unconsciously to get sick instead of making the change in my life that I needed to. So now, and that's what actually inspired me to, to help people is like, you don't have to make this same mistake. You can make a change before it's an emergency in your life. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. Yeah, well, I'll echo that because that's what I did. So <laughs> um, let's see. I think, honestly, it goes back to early childhood because I had what turns out to be vaccine reactions. I had, I always forget what the acronym is, but it's POTS. It equates to like low blood sugar and low... Um, it's like a viral symptom sort of thing, but doctors go, I don't know what that is. It's, I don't know what it is. Just go and rest for a few weeks or whatever. And um, <clears throat> so I actually had that when I was a kid. You know, I had a couple of bouts of that with unexplained tiredness, um, low blood pressure, like I'd stand up and pretty much black out. And uh, that turns out to be, when you look back at it, uh, something that's actually put down as a vaccine reaction today, if people have that. Wow. And so that's where it kind of started. I also had uh, a lot of fungal symptoms when I was a kid too. Fungal symptoms being the uh, tinea between the toes, which was like really, really severe and uh, very itchy. Um, you know, as a kid, they'd always be going like, don't pick the skin and don't scratch it. And as a kid, you're like, it's itchy as hell, like as if you're not going to scratch it. So I had a lot of fungal creams uh, when I was between the age of about maybe two and seven i was like that was and looking back you know when you know when i know what i know now it's very much heavy metal related and um i was also at a young age not given much in the way of uh nutrition part of it was because they would appease me i'd be asking for smarties and they'd just give them to me and stuff and i had by the time i was 12 i think i had six or eight fillings and they were all amalgams as well so uh <clears throat> so i got given a lot of amalgam fillings you know, my full course of vaccines and uh, just your standard exposure to mercury, um, mercurochrome on your cuts and, um, you know, this, that and the other. So then I had some quite heavy gut issues coming through my teens. Through my teens, I got to the stage like you, Beth, and this is all comes from a higher place. This all comes from mental, emotional and spiritual ailments, not physical to begin with. So I had a, a lot of low self-esteem, very low self-worth. Uh, trying to fit in, finding ways I could fit in. And the ways that I fit in was to be very extreme. If there was a dare to be done, I would do it. If someone wanted me to uh, eat something off the ground that looked like it had been there for seven weeks and had been like pooed on by an elephant, I would eat it. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I would do whatever was so extreme that people would go, oh, wow, I can't believe he did that. So, you know, jumping off whatever or, uh, you know, doing silly stuff that's a bit life endangering. Uh, but also not caring for myself. And that comes from a higher source. That's not just not just not caring for myself physically. That means I don't care about myself in a higher sense. And so through my teens, uh, from about 14, around like late into my 14th, 14th year into up to about 16, I thought it'd be funny to see how fat I could get. Because when I was a junior, I, I was actually represented. I had a national ranking in tennis. Uh, I was state level cross country runner. Um, uh, it's it pretty, yeah, not great, but good at sport and things, had grown up doing that. And I was in my very rebellious time. That was the other thing. So not only did I have low self-worth, but I was very, very rebellious because 
my anger at the way that I was being brought up, not really just from my parents, but from school and like it was a Catholic school and uh, the media, I just had a sense things weren't right. Couldn't explain it at the time. So when you're that age, you don't have elders or anybody to lean on for guidance and you don't have a rite of passage. And so all of that, knowing that things aren't right, but not being able to explain it leads to a lot of like rage and anger that you repress. So everyone thought I was the happy-go-lucky guy. I'm very calm and all that sort of stuff, which I was, but the shadow element of that becomes deep anger that is residing. You probably already know uh, anger when it's repressed and things like that really affects the liver. And a lot of what I was doing was very heavily compromising my gut. And I would have what I called a period, which was once a month, it seemed like, literally on schedule once a month, I would wake up at about probably two in the morning and uh, with really, really bad pains in my gut, in my stomach and bowel. And so then I would have to go sit on the toilet and think I was gonna throw up and poop at the same time. But basically I would have the runs, like a series of runs that would come in waves of pain, like real pain to the point where I'm uh, like spitting out at the mouth in, in, in such pain. Oh. And then I would pass a bowel movement, which would be like very runny. And then I would be, uh, I'd think it was fine. I was like, oh, geez, that's such a relief. And then the wave would come back and it'd probably go through four or five waves, probably be there for over an hour and then go back to bed. Didn't tell my parents or anything because I didn't know anything was actually wrong. So then go to school. And so then um, by the time I was 16, I was like this, my, my health actually felt like it wasn't good. You know, I would do that thing like I would go and get a three liter bottle of Coke and see if I could drink the whole thing in one go in front of the other kids at school. And uh, yeah, just a lot of things like that. I also started working when I was 14 years old so I could buy my own food. I was only making like $4 an hour, but um, I could buy my own food. And most of that was junk because that was what the rebellious self wants to do is runs to just eat junk food. And so I got to the stage where I was like, this is actually probably going down a bad road. So then I got an interest in health. I said, I've got to turn this around. So age 16, 17, I got into kickboxing. Overnight, dropped potato chips, French fries, sodas, just decided not having that anymore. But, but the thing is, that interest in health led me to the internet and it led me to trying all sorts of... First thing I did was cut out fat. One of the worst things you can do, cut out fat, especially when you're developing. That's how your hormones and all that develop. Fat, fat, fat. It's very important. Saturated fat in particular... So going low fat and then slash eating non-saturated fats, things like vegetable oils, margarines, um, just oils that are very highly processed, very, very evil to the body. That's what I was going through. And it, particularly a low fat diet for well over a year. Luckily, when you're a teenager, it's kind of, you know, your body knows what to do anyway, but it certainly didn't help. And uh, yeah, went into the foods that are just not good, like processed foods to try to cut out fat and all that sort of stuff. So partly it was because I was like, all right, I'm going to lose the weight. But mainly because I thought that was healthy. I thought I was eating health foods. I would get soy sausages from the supermarket and eat those because, you know, nowadays, you know, you couldn't pay me to eat any, anything like that. So, you know, like just the wrong guidance. There wasn't the right guidance. I was very diligent. I was very keen. I was motivated to learn. I was very diligent in learning, but I did not know how to discern between the learning methods or the sources of information. So that led to at least five years, at least, of eating very, very unhealthily, thinking that I was eating healthily, eating diets and protocols and foods touted by people who are supposedly experts, people with doctors in their initials and all this sort of stuff. 
So uh, around about this time is when I'm leaving high school and going into college. I didn't know what to do after school. I was already fed up with the educational system, but didn't know that there was another way. I didn't know what to do. So I was already good at academics. I love sports. So I went, let's do sports science. So I went into sports science. I was really keen to learn about dietetics and nutrition, sports nutrition and everything like that. And so by the time I was, you know, 19 into college, I was very lean, very fit. Whenever I did the, uh, the uh, testing for within the, you know, the uh, physiology labs and stuff, I do the testing and I was like, everyone's like, whoa, look at, you should be a swimmer or a runner or whatever. Cause I had like the lowest heart rate. I could do the uh, respiratory tests and now I had the biggest maxes and I had the, I could have the longest duration of uh, all the stuff that physiologically says you're very fit, you're very healthy. And at that stage, my um, period, as I call it, had gone away. Okay. And then, uh, so that led me then to getting full-time into actually competing in sport and doing a business. So but after two and a half years in college, after changing science degrees several times and just realizing they were all just not to my liking, it's like, These don't, this doesn't add up. This is not good stuff. This is not what I'm here to do. And then, uh, yeah, got into competing full-time and running a business and all that kind of thing. So now I was into my early 20s where the ego is fully developed, very strong-minded individual, as I pretty much still am, still have to temper that. And uh, yeah, really just driving myself into the ground. So at this stage, never had a girlfriend. Uh, don't I, I would go to some parties or I'd go out like we used to call it cruising. We are into car culture at the time. and uh, But generally would be keeping to myself and dedicated to my process and my learning and trying to be the best at things. And then um, so that really led to by the time I was 24, that's when my body pretty much gave out. It happened in stages though. Because at training, I would notice I would have, I would always have energy. I was the one that like, I would win all the competitions and all that sort of thing. And then, then it got to the stage where I went to a few weeks where energy was great. And then for a few training sessions in a row, I'm like, oh, I'm weak. Like I'm really, really weak and lethargic. Like I'm out of breath. I'm like, why am I out of breath? Like I don't get out of breath. I can do this all day. And weak, like in training, it was martial arts, kicks and punches just had nothing behind them. And then I'd come back up and I'd have like, you know, you couldn't, like unburstable energy sort of thing, high strength, unburstable energy. And then I dip again for a week and I'm like, what's going on? Come weak, really weak, out of breath, like out of breath, walking upstairs. And like, you know, I could, I could sprint those stairs 20 times and laugh about it. I could, I, you know, I wouldn't get out of breath and I'm out of breath walking upstairs. So then that happened again. And instead of listening to my body, I just wait for it to bounce back, which took about a week. And then I do it again. And then I'd push myself too hard and then I'd go again. And then I was out for a month and then it came back momentarily. And then, I, and then I did it again, not listening at all. And then I went down and when I went down, I was down and out. Then that was the chronic fatigue. So that lasted, I, I gave it like a month and I'm like, oh no, I'm not better. And then it was a few months and I'm, I'm really starting to freak out. I'm like, what's going on? Like, I actually feel like I'm not alive. Like literally there's no life in me. I felt depression for the first time in my life because prior to that, my egoic self, I'd hear about people being depressed and stuff. And I go, why? How could you possibly be depressed? I had no empathy for people because I never, I was so unburstable in my vitality and energy that I was like, how, why would, that's the dumbest thing. Like I was that judgmental. I would actually say, that's the dumbest thing in the world. I can't believe you're depressed or I can't believe you contemplate taking your life. Like that's just dumb. How could you do that? Because I couldn't feel it myself. And, uh, and then going through at about the three month stage after I'd seen a naturopath and, and things, and then like, I'm not getting better. And yeah, I was like, I was, uh, I was in that all oh no stage. I just didn't know what was going on. I actually felt 
the life force was gone. And I didn't feel, I couldn't feel, you know how like if you get sick, like you get a cold or something, you just know it's coming back, your energy's coming back, but like you can feel it. You feel mm-hmm. this is good, a few days I'll be good. Not just because you've been through it before, but you can actually feel it. You can feel it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to be good. I couldn't feel when I was going to be good. So I was in no man's land thinking, oh, like, oh, shit. Like I was really in a bad place. No, I didn't like dive into a depression at all because me with my kind of mind, I was like, oh, that's all right. I'll find a way. All right, I'll try this. I'll try that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to still set a new goal. I was like really onto it with my mind, but still, um, yeah, you know, at that age, not, not balancing out, not understanding higher principles or higher purposes in life. Mm-hmm. And so that's the time when I had... I, I didn't cover the bit at college. I was already studying a lot of medicine. I was in with a lot of uh, the researchers. Even a lot of them didn't like me because I, w- I was the one that would ask questions in class, which is the reason I quit classes because it was just this isn't an educational system at all. But I was involved with high-level um, doctors, osteopaths, sports scientists, physiotherapists, uh, chiropractors, uh, not just through college but outside of college. I was doing a lot of learning in those methods as well. Then when I got sick, none of those guys could help me. These people that I looked up to and saw as experts and everything, they couldn't, they didn't help at all. And so that's when I was forced to find different learning methods that were going to actually help. And that's when I found Paul Check. And that was the first time that I was like, I can actually find something of value here. I can see that I can see that this is like part of the answer. Not the answer, but part of the answer. So that's when my interest in holistic and natural health really started to blossom. Prior to that, having seen a few naturopaths because of what I was going through, um, I was already interested in the natural way. I knew that medications weren't the way because I'd got into, uh, I'd already got into Western price, natural foods, whole foods and things like that. But I was doing them way out of balance, like doing a majority fruit diet and all that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, anyway, so still making a lot of mistakes, getting on the right track you know, going away completely from processed foods. Because I think I was 21 when I learned about that. I learned about what processed foods are and what they do, what things like preservatives and things do to the gut and the body. Um, so I was on to all whole foods. But then at that age with the high uh, workload and, and training schedule, wasn't really into properly balancing out preparing meals. Fruit was super easy. So if I could just have the first half of the day was just fruit, that's easy. Actually, probably until three in the afternoon because I was so busy out and about. And then I would have, I was still eating meat and stuff, but that was more a, um, not, not enough, obviously. So you're very out of balance. Looking back at certain symptoms, there was a big candida slash fungal issue there as well. And um, yeah, so then once I, I went down, I went through many doctors, specialists, endocrinologists, gastroenterologists, all telling me I'm fine. And, you know, just, and guys just going, like the specialists that were charging $500 an hour or something, they do their thing and they look at me like, I'm like, what are you doing in my clinic? And I'm like, oh, I need your help. And they're used to seeing 80 year old men and women. <laughs> they're like, what are you, I'm 24 or something. What are you doing here? Like really confused and almost uh, upset or offended that I'm in their office. And I'm a bit confused about that. I'm like, oh, I thought I was, thought I was a patient. Are you here to help me? I don't know. That's why I'm here. I'm sick. Can you help me? <laughs> and, um, but they didn't, they didn't help at all. Uh, their diagnosis was always, you're fine, just get out there and do your thing. And then <clears throat> going to a doctor's clinic and him just saying, look, look, you're fine, right? There's nothing wrong with you. Just get out there and pull your socks up. And I was like, this stage, I was ready to just like, just smash this guy in the face with my fist in his office and walk out because I was just like, how can you say this? Like I was an athlete 
and I live 500 meters from this doctor surgery and I barely could walk here. Don't tell me I'm fine and there's nothing wrong with me. Like, do your job. Exactly. Like, why aren't you doing your job? So, yeah, anyway, at this stage, I was like completely over that. I'd blew, blown all the money that I'd saved from doing the business and uh, uh, to no avail, no help. The people that wanted to help as well. And this is, I guess, Beth, at this stage, I'll just mention, there's a lot of things that, are, that can help people with very minor issues. And I'm not saying they don't do that. But what I've learned is what works based on not just myself, but people that I've worked with, people who are genuinely not well. You know, so I had a lot of people try to sign me up to network marketing things like, oh, it's just these supplements or these essential oils or these that. It'll pull you right out. And being desperate and vulnerable at the time, I'm like, ah, it's kind of like my last $50, but sure, I'll sign up to your, your business and maybe it'll help. And of course, it doesn't. So then the anger builds more and more. It's like, what the f Like, no one's helping. Everyone's just taking my money. Nothing's. And it's not like I wasn't trying because I was very, very diligently doing anything anyone said. They said, you got to do this at nine o'clock, take this, then do that, do it to the letter. You know, and just is, yeah. So you really realize what is just band aid treatment for something like an ailment, like, oh, I get headaches or I get this or I'm a bit tired. Not like if you're chronically ill or you've got acute conditions or whatever. So there's a big difference between, you know, those kinds of scenarios. So then it still took from moving away from a traditional learning method and traditional courses to doing things that way. So by the time I was 26, 27, still not getting better, uh, I was very much just uh, a Hail Mary kind of uh, attitude. You know, uh, I was looking, I was really trying to, trying to handle fungal, bacterial and parasitic conditions and viruses because I was getting sick, sick as in flus kind of sick about 12 or 13 times a year, averaging every three weeks. Every three weeks, I'd be sick down and out like that. And very, yeah, very prone to viral infections at the time as well. But knowing what we know now that it's a detoxification, they're there to help cleaning stuff out. Didn't know that then, obviously, because neither the natural health world nor the medical world was telling me that that's what it was. They were telling me that's an invader. The natural uh, naturopathic world was saying you've got to take antivirals. You've got to get rid of the virus. The medical world is saying that's an invader. You can't take antibiotics because it's not alive, but you've got to, you've got to uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's just... So at this stage, though, this is when through going through more of Paul Check's work, I'm finding out about Antoine Bechamp, Rudolf Steiner, and some of their methods and, and figuring out about uh, toxicity and figure, figuring out about, uh, you know, the, uh, the role of viruses and the role of, say, terrain that, you know, you might have fungus and bacteria and parasites and viruses, but they're not the enemy. They're not invading you out of nowhere. They are, you have a sick and toxic and weak internal environment that is now prone to these other things that are actually there to clean out and helping. So in my mind, that's already, you know, well-educated, going through all the schools and stuff is going, that's wrong. That can't be right. But still like, well, maybe it is right because I was always open to anything. So I had to find out for myself. And then at that, at that stage where I was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I get sicker. Who cares? You know, I might die from it. Oh, who cares? You know, like at, at that stage, it didn't matter to me. So that's when I was trying to infect myself with things like funguses and viruses and all that sort of stuff from people right. who had current known current viral infections and things. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't infect myself with, with a virus. And so that was like, now there's a massive shift in my mind. I'm going, wow, everything I've learned about health is kind of wrong. Like obviously eating natural, organic, whole foods, that's right. But a lot of the, the stuff when it comes to microbes and things, and it's like, well, maybe we've got that all wrong and trying to kill them and all that sort of stuff. Maybe that's not the right thing to do. So that turned into a new direction of, of learning. So most of the learning came from getting to a very 
uh, dire place and desperate place. It didn't come from books. And it came from having to experiment. It came from having to prove things in the real world. And that's my barometer for anything. If somebody says, here's a supplement or here's a product or here's a method, like a, a psychosomatic, you know, like some kind of method that's supposed to help you reach into your inner self and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, let's try it because I'm going to know if it works or it doesn't. And most of what I've ever been through, which is a lot, like you name a protocol or a method or whatever, I at least know about it or have done it. And most of it is theory. Like law, like you hear a lot about different, oh, you, if a cop says this or you walk into a courtroom, just hold up this document or just say this and it's all done. And it's like, have you ever been into a courtroom? <laughs> I don't think you have. And it's exactly. theory. 90% of what you hear in the world is theory only. Literally 90%. It's theory because it hasn't been tested. It hasn't been gone through like when, when it counts in situations that count because sometimes it's theory and then, you know, you say such and such to a clerk or whatever. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that that works in the court of law, for example. Or you, you, you take this supplement for such and such. And it's like, yeah, but you just didn't sleep well the night before. You're not like properly fatigued. That, that's not an indicator that that works. So there's certain situations where uh, you need to test things to know that they genuinely work. They genuinely work. And so that's probably 10% of things that I've actually gone through and tried. Um now, having said that, there's obviously a lot that does, but we can go into that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I'd love to jump in here um, and talk about the, I mean, there's a lot in there. Do, do you have the sense, and I'm asking this question for a really specific reason of something that I'm seeing in the chat, just so you know that, do you feel like you went through what you've experienced on, on the level of health? Um, now, it's this is a weird way to ask it because I don't even really believe in that predestiny. It's more how you use a situation, what you did with it. But it sounds like it was so humbling, right? It brought you to a place of realizing yeah. like, yeah, I did all the wrong things. And, and then it's that humility that allows you to now be in front of people and, and even get past the shyness and, and, and like you said, that low self-esteem and everything that you had and turn around, you know, and, and when you were saying how, You'd see people who are depressed and you couldn't even understand it. You couldn't even get it, like get over it. But when you're there, then you're like, oh, my God, this is what everybody's going through. And, uh, you, you know, your heart can can pour open. There's there's somebody yeah. somebody in the chat is suffering a lot, lot right now. And, and I just want to thank everybody in the chat who's been helping to um, to answer. It's uh, it's not as easy to do right now while we're in this conversation. I want I do want to remain uh, integrity in, in integrity in this conversation as well but i just thank you love and thank you guys for for taking care of each other that's that's a beautiful thing we're not alone and uh, we don't get out of this that's the thing there's there's actually no getting out of it you can you can because that's that's what i more or less did uh trying to you know trying to kill myself there was an unconscious program of of not liking myself and my and my life I was trying to get out of it, so I, I was unconsciously choosing death. And then when I got to my deathbed and the moment when I, when I thought I was losing my life, I saw that I'm just going to have to come back and do this again. I don't get out of it. There's, there's some kind of a contract here. So it's, yeah, it's intense times, and we're going we're gonna to see a lot more of this, no doubt. We'll have our work cut out for us as uh, people who support others. But that humility, it's such a big key. And, and I love your point also, because I would go to my naturopath, and I would come, and I'd say, oh, well, so-and-so said, just do this, just do this. Like you said, oh, it's just this supplement, or it's just this alkaline diet. And I remember it was the alkaline thing, because everyone is so convinced. And I actually want to get on a soapbox about this. Everyone's so convinced that the alkaline diet is going to cure your cancer. Do not listen 
That is that is a gross oversimplification for a, a compounded prog prog uh, problem over time. Maybe that is a quick fix for, like you said, an acute situation. But when you're dealing with something chronic that's got layers and layers, uh, my, my naturopath said, I've had uh, X number of people die on that diet. He just looked me in the eye and said, like, this, it's BS. Do not listen to that. So I, I don't know how many times people say, oh, just eat alkaline, or you should have done this alkaline. I'm like, it's not like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hey, um, later in the show, if you want as well, we could probably talk a bit, a bit about depression because it's important, I think, for some people. Well, and let's it, do it. Yeah. Let's do it. It's coming up right now. It's right in the... It's, it's okay. Right, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess to to talk a, a little bit first of all about how you you mentioned that you know was there you were you were kind of saying that there was a uh, <laughs> was there something else at play, you know was there a reason that you went through all this sort of stuff and um, so to answer that quickly I I believe yes because for me you know uh, so anybody that seems to have had visions about seeing things beyond the veil of the physical well has pretty much seen a very common thing and I've seen it too. It's like before we come into the world, I think we get a glimpse of what we're getting into. So that means the parents that you have, the situation, the socioeconomic situation, the place of birth in the world, you know, whether it's poverty or whether it's a Western country or whatever, I, I, that to me appears from what I've seen to be predetermined, like chosen, the consciousness that you embody that wants to experience a certain experience has chosen that. And so to so that, that's when I didn't have I did have anger and blame until I started seeing these things and that's when I lost the anger and blame about my parents my coaches at the time who weren't listening and weren't letting me do what I suggested I should do and all that sort of stuff all the blame went from others and it just came squarely back to myself not even a blame but a forgiveness it's like all right well this is where we are this is the experience probably we're meant to have now what are we doing with that experience and that ties nicely into the the um depression part because look it's different for everybody as well i'll just say that i've dealt with a lot of people with depression and depression seems to have many different causes so depending on the cause will depend on how relevant this would be to you but i still believe that the overarching energetic of it is the same with what i'm about to share so uh for me it was a, a chemical uh, sorry it was a it was a literally a lack of energy once your energy has gone so far you be you fall into a depressed state so you are physiologically depressed and then you're emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually depressed as well. Other people have it because of a very definite chemical imbalance. So there's people, for example, something that's uh, highly touted for people to do if they have constant depression is exercise. Go and hit the gym, go and do a sport, whatever. You actually have the physical energy to do that and it can alleviate depression at least temporarily because of the dopamine and the serotonin and other things that are released. That's not what I had because I couldn't do that. If I had it done that, it would have made me even worse or killed me. So mm -hmm. it's from different elements or the diet's wrong. It's just a gut imbalance. You know, as soon as the gut bacteria is so out of balance that that is affecting your neurology and you're depressed. There's a lot of different ways that you can have the depression or it's a just, a, just an outright blow to the emotional body. You just lost a loved one, the love of your life. You don't know how you'll ever get over it. You're depressed for years. So there's a lot of different ways you can get it, right? So for some ways... Treating the gut will help. That's not going to help for those other ways, for having lost a loved one. You know, for me, exercising wasn't going to help. Uh, for the people who have the just the chemical uh, um, hormonal imbalance, you know, uh, there's uh, there's things that you're not just going to get over something and that's going to help. It's going to be you have to work on things physically with your diet and all that kind of thing. So it's just different. But for me, no matter what, 
happens and what comes. Class. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we were just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So for what what happens, no matter sorry, no matter what happens for me, and this goes for anything in life, not just depression. If you try to fight, hide from, or run from the experience that you're that is put in front of you that you're now in, it will make it worse. It will linger longer than it needs to. Uh, the expression of it and the severity of it will be worse. If you walk into anything, no matter how bad it might seem or how you know the, how deep the depression is, if you walk into that, and this is what helped me get out of bouts of quite deep, severe depression, instead of fighting it, wishing it was different or woe is me or whatever, I would just say, okay, this kind of sucks, but this is the experience. What is in this experience? Let's have it. Every fiber of my being is now in the experience. It's like when I teach people about if they're going to go into a courtroom or they're going to deal with a customs or a police officer, I say, if there's any part of you that is resistant to that, there's more of a likelihood it's not going to go well. So if you just go right into what you're doing and you just say, right, this is the experience. I didn't really want to have to waste my time with this, but this is the experience I'm going to have. Let's have it. And every fiber of your being is in that experience. You can't get it wrong. doesn't matter if you get locked up in a cell overnight. doesn't matter what happens because you're fully in that experience and that is going to lead you to this and then this and then that. And then, hey, you don't know that that third thing that it leads to is like that's when you meet like your partner or that's when you meet a business associate or that's when you have a realization about a higher, you don't know. So if you, but you won't find it if you're too like, nah, one foot out the door. You've got to be into it, fully committed, fully realized and fully into it. So with depression, it's, it was, a, I'll just say it was for me. For the people that I've worked on with depression, they've found it's helped as well. So rather than run from it or whatever, or try to take something to get out of it, Try to just sit in it and go, okay, well, don't pretend it's great because it's not, but it's like, all right, I'm here. It's almost like being in a different room. You've just gone from like the living room with the lights on and now into a dark room. So instead of like trying to scratch for the door, I've got to get out of here, just go, all right, well, let's just sit in it for a bit. I'm here. Now, what's in here? I'm listening. Like, what, what do you have to show me? What can I learn from this or whatever? And just from that alone, for me, the severity of the depression lifted by about 50% because I was not fighting it anymore. Right. And not only that, but I've written two songs that I just love that came from those states as well because Amazing. I was listening. Instead of fighting it, I was like, I can do this. Like God or the universe or whatever does not give me an experience that I can't handle. My low, my, my low self doesn't like it. My higher self, this might be what it needs. So rather than, you know, uh, you know push it away, I'm going to embrace it. And maybe there's some realization to come from it. Maybe there's a burst of creativity that comes from it. You know, something that's going to touch me for the rest of my life or maybe touch others, you know, through music or through uh, something that a realization that I had I could share with others or something that's going to come from it. So then by walking into it and allowing it to kind of hold your hand and, and go for a walk with it, there's so much to gain from it because there's never any such thing as zero value you know, in life. Everything has a value. So you can always find a value in any situation as hard as it might be, you know, as hard as it might be to lose a child or something, for example, there's some, there is some gift in it, How as hard as it might be to find there's some gift in it. So it's up to us to kind of choose, consciously choose to find that. And through that, our consciousness will have the experience that it's chosen to have outside of our ego that's like, no, anything bad or anything uncomfortable is not, I don't want that. But to the higher self, they're all experiences, you know, being depressed and, like I used to go and lay out on the road and just go, oh, you know, just for something to take my mind off it. It's a very dangerous thing to do in the middle of the night, lie in the middle of a road. But, um, you know, it's, it's like it's like if we have the experiences, we choose to have them. The higher self 
that's dangerous or whatever, or, you know, doing the things that you did, Beth, it's like not good for the body, but being on your deathbed is no better or worse of an experience than going for a ride on a push bike or uh, going for a nap. They're all just experiences. Only the, the ego judges better, worse, you know, uh, more comfortable, less comfortable. The higher self just goes, well, that's an experience. And every experience has equal value because the, every experience needs to be had from the collective in order for all knowing to become wisdom through the experience. So point being is just have the experience and allow yourself to have it. doesn't mean that you can't take measures to get through it and alleviate it, but that fundamental shift in the, the psyche of just being in it and looking for us. If you can't find it, ask, you know, what, what's this experience for? Why, what's it here to teach me? What am I supposed to learn about? For me, I learned about how imbalanced I was and how completely out of touch with the feminine that I was. Absolutely no feminine whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. Such a yang dominant life and mind that it just completely sucked the life out of me. So that was what I learned from depression, for example. Wow, that's so powerful. Uh, how how we're, we're totally on the same page with this because when you decided not to turn away from it, run away from it, and that is the knee-jerk reaction, you can't even really do anything else. Like we, when your hand's on a hot stove, you pull away. It's just, that's what it is. But I like how you're saying that every, there's no such thing as no value. Every single human experience has value. And I'll say that it is, it is all here. I call, I call it all a door. The, the entire range of human experience, everything that we consider like good, bad, ugly, everything, the highest and the lowest human experiences, they are all doors to freedom, right? That, that it's all rigged in our favor. That's, I spent a lot of my life feeling like God was like, why, why did you give me this terrible experience and that terrible experience? Now I have to go through this and do all this healing work. And then finally, I, I had the same epiphany. It's like, it's, it, you go into there and never pretend. I love how you said that too. Never pretend, because when people say embrace, it's not. It's not that you're, you're you, like you're gonna. Oh, I love. I love you. Although you can get to that point where you have a love disposition towards anything that comes up in your experience. <clears throat> but, uh, but to be able to just go all the way through it and and let it have its purpose, let it have its moment. It it is all. You'll get to the other side. Is what I noticed a hundred percent of the time. When I go through something, I get to the other side and I have some magic uh, tricks. I'd actually love to, uh, if you ever have time, Tom, I'd love to show them to you. Maybe maybe you've already got into this stuff, but just a really fast road through that stuff so you don't have to stay stuck and suffer for a long, long time. But um, no, the worst thing, oh, yeah. honestly, I'm, I'm dealing with demons when I went to bed last night. I lost my cat. I felt like a terrible mom and uh, I was uh, up too late and... And the next thing you know, I've got a few demonic attacks. I can feel the worms. I can feel thoughts that are not, you know, apparently mine. I'll still take, I'll just treat them like they're mine because that's the only way I can deal with them. And it's the moment I recognized there was these things going on, entities, then I've got like two techniques. They take, I don't know, 12 seconds, the whole thing done and, and going to sleep perfectly peacefully. So you do not have to suffer, but you have to, you have to uh, use that energy. That's that's the thing, right? And and then you stop using your energy to suppress everything. That energy returns back to your system. It's free energy, and and that's what heals. I, I often say that. I know you guys might be tired of me saying it, but I don't know how to heal from cancer. But all that energy I unsuppressed, that did. Yep. And it's humbling. Yeah. yeah. And it's humbling because, you know, you don't know if you're really, really intensely suffering right now, 
what purpose could it hold in the future that maybe you'll be helping others? There are going to be a lot more depressed people out there, don't you think? Yeah, the way the world's going, absolutely. Yeah. And even, you know, just, just an old expression that uh, is the, this too shall pass. Like everything does pass. Everything's on a cycle as well. You know, everything kind of comes around and it's always going to come around if you if you allow it and you're looking for it. And actually, one of the, that was one of the things that alleviated a lot of energy. And the other was just not focusing on what I was in. So the chronic fatigue, for example, one of the things that that got me through the major part of it was to stop focusing on it. Because for probably 10 years, my sole purpose in life, my sole aim and goal was to get better. And it was through Paul Check's work, you know, what he talks a lot about having a dream. It's like, why do you want to get better though? Because if your goal is, your dream can't to be to get better. That's not a dream. <laughs> because to get better, it's like, why? Well, what are you going to do with that? So the whole purpose is to have something that's above what you, you know, my dream was then, as soon as I stopped focusing on getting better, and I was just like, am I doing everything that I can today? Am I eating well? Am I on point? You know, am I getting to sleep at a good time and that sort of stuff? Am I doing what I can do? If I can, I'm doing all I can do. And then forget it. Stop focusing on it. It's a drain of energy. Focus on not what I can't do anymore. Damn it, I can't train. I can't do this. I can't you know, do all the stuff that I'm used to be able to doing. As soon as I stop focusing on that and then stop, start focusing on what I can do, okay, what can I do today? What is my dream? And what can I do to take a step in that direction today? My energy went up like a lot just from that because now it's got a place to go. It's not, it's not stagnating and, and being drained by focusing on things that I can't do or handle. And so the same was when I was in states of depression was, okay, stop focusing on what I'm in. Just start focusing on what I can do. What can I do today? Can I still pick up a guitar? Yeah, my fingers still work. I'll do that. Like, well, what's my dream? You know, what's getting me through this? Why do I want to get through this? What's driving me to get through this? And then um, just that, like what you were saying, you know, it's like there's energetic drains and there's things that allow you to tap into a higher energy. And those are the things that we need to do when we're in suppressed states. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's a brilliant approach. I, I totally appreciate that we're on the same page. I wouldn't have held it against you if we weren't, but <laughs> it's, it's more fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the health journey is, is such a big one and it's extremely profound. I want to I wanna help bring that point forward again, because if, if your goal is to get better, whether it's from uh, physical sickness or depression or all of the above, then what you're actually holding in mind is being not well. That's what you're holding in mind by trying to push away the bad health. You are locking it in place. And, and that's, that's the key. If you, can, if you can step outside of yourself and vision something different, well, what would I do if I was healthy? Oh, I'd have a fabulous job. I've had a good, good girlfriend. I would, I would play music. I'd be in a rock band. And then all of a sudden you're positively driven rather than negatively driven by the, by the illness, the thing that it is. Uh, just quickly, I've, I've got a client who's desperately trying to leave a job. And then all of her goals are about leaving the job. And it's like, do you see how the job is right there in in your goal? The job's in your goal. You can't get away from it that way. Right? So that's that's the work of Lester Levinson. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, it's, yeah. it's... You are? Oh, good. Oh, good. So that no doubt. Yeah, if you what, whatever you hold in mind, consciously, unconsciously, that's what you're going to get because God listens to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's brilliant. I'm I'm really glad that you you got to the other side of that. And then how how do you see the the physical and the and the the emotional working together? 
Uh, it's a two-way street too because there's, um, you know, the emotional elements, they definitely manifest in the physical. The way I sort of describe it, um, which I put in the, the uh, thing I put in my ebook was there, you got a physical body and then around that there's an a, um, emotional body, the, the body of the mind and then the body of the, the spirit. Like they're, they're, all, they're all within like you, your body, but you're made up of several bodies. And uh, so normally the physical body, any ailment, the pain, the tumors, the this, the that, or the other fatigue, it's all coming from a, a filtering down from ailments in the higher bodies. But it, it also goes back the other way because if you were to take a massive physical trauma that also will go up into the emotional body and store there and you'll be very um trep you know have a lot of trepidation about certain things based on emotions based on a physical experience so they all um they kind of work both ways you know and then so uh the way they interact though is is it's almost like it's not a good idea to separate them and it's it's like anything that is nourishing to one should be nourishing to another and if they're not then that means um that's not your path kind of thing. So when you're looking at a food or an activity or a, a group of people you're associating with, the question needs to be asked, not just as a serve, like well, what level does it serve me on? And when it's a, a synchronicity or it's a symbiotic between them all, that's when you know it's the right move or the right food or the right situation. And um, so, yeah, does that answer your question? Like were you going at it in a different way? Mm -hmm. No, it's beautiful because that's, I, I like, I like that awareness because some people would say, oh, no, all physical problems have a spiritual root. But I think it can very much go the other the other way around. And and yeah, if you get kicked in the in the body, like how many how many insults are we dealing with right now? Uh, just electricity alone, <laughs> the, the level of electricity that here mm -hmm. in the city, I just touch my cat and he might set on fire from the the static that's going on right now. I need to ionize this this place. And, uh, and it does, it does affect that like, you can't be naive and, and, and think you're rising above it, because actually, all you're doing is suppressing your experience trying to pretend it's not happening. Mm. So yeah, it's it, it. I mean, you would you say that the two aren't separate, right? Physical and Oh, yeah, yeah. Energetic. Yeah, they're not separate. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're actually having a whole experience, but we're all cut up in our, in our inner world. So it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to know that and, and actually yeah. see that. I separate them when I'm teaching people about it because uh, similar to if you're treating an injury, you, you generally isolate then integrate. Like you don't do a compound movement to to fix something. You do isolation movements to get uh, like a connection to it and then you integrate it with a compound movement to put it into how it functions the whole body. So when I'm teaching about these subtle bodies and things, I teach them how what are they and what do they function as on their own, but then it's important to do the integration because they don't function on their own. They do function as a whole with the rest of the bodies. Yeah, and that's brilliant. So you can see how medical science uh, inverted that and, and all it does is separate out, but never puts back together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah like the relationship it, yeah. between organs, like when people say, I'm just going to get my gallbladder removed, or I'm just going to get my appendix removed. And it's like, yeah, but... <laughs> But what does that function like? You're learning of what it does on its own, but it actually functions with every organ has a yin yang relationship with another one, and they all pass through an energy system and they all relate to your entire body. So, do, are they telling you that before they're telling you to cut it out? <laughs> it's like, right. not a good idea. Oh, I'm horrified when women tell me they've had hysterectomies, for example. It's just, yeah. I, I, I try not to make them feel bad, especially if it's all done, but. Mm. 
It's insane. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how I work with archetypes too, because you, you know, to take one archetype out, you were talking a little through the rebel archetype earlier, just, you know, kind of railing against the machine and eating whatever you wanted to. And, and just by breaking out one archetype, it's extremely artificial. There's no archetypes don't come one at a time. Nature is all about clustering and, and, and combining and recombining in, in an infinite variety. Uh, but by, but by breaking things out and looking at them so closely, you can, actually have massive breakthroughs because again if you get your energy back from what's suppressed and uh you know i didn't even go into any any um real integration work i just got my energy back and i and i went from being dying to living practically overnight now it, i still have worked for 20 years on the integration so <laughs> yeah it's not that that work didn't have to be done it, it does mm. still on it yes yeah, yeah, and it's it's ongoing too, right? Like nobody ever kind of oh, I've like mastered everything. I'm I've, I got to the end of that one. Like it's still I'm still you know I'm I'm still at the point where um, you know actually when I was 24 I did I saw a GP who was old. He was close to 90, I think he was, and he did a few tests on me and said, "Well, your adrenals are shot, and you're this, that, and the other." He did kinesiology on me. This is a GP, and he did kinesiology, like uh, muscle testing and stuff. First time I was introduced to muscle testing. Wow, a ninety-year-old, no less. Yeah, yeah, and he, so he prescribed some herbs and things, and then um, he did. He showed me how muscle testing worked because he was testing things, and then he held um, he held a packet of uh, um, uh, artificial sweetener. Uh, against my solar plexus and I was like totally weak and I was, I was like oh wow like I was actually I wasn't letting that happen at all that's when I got an introduction to kinesiology and uh, he introduced me to a German guy who you have to like know about to go and see so he's a GP and a naturopath trained in Germany which is better than being trained in Australia <laughs> probably America as well and um, Canada, so yeah. uh so, yeah, uh, he said to me, he said, chronic fatigue is chronic toxicity. And he said that when I was 24 and um, Ooh, it didn't, didn't really register as much because he also did live blood analysis. He did this, that, and the other. He wasn't really treating that directly, but it, that stuck with me. And it's only now, like still, so that was 15, 16 years ago, I'm actually still dealing with the majority of the toxicity because I've actually finally figured out you know, what's going on and how it's created by thoughts as well and, and everything else. So I'm still in a heavy detoxification period, which is going to go on for another few years at least. So it's like anything. It's like, you know, uh, back in the day, the people, the oracles or the elders that you would go and see, they're 50 and 60 years old, like at least. You're not going to see the 40, like I'm 40 now. You don't go and see a 40-year-old as the, as the tribal elder or anything like that because there's certain things you got to go through, integrate, as you said, the integration is the big process, which can take a long time, decades sometimes. And so, um, you know, I'm still going through that now. Like, it's not like I'm like totally, that's all in the past. I'm still integrating it. And I'm still um, working on getting the purification of mind, body and soul, which as you would expect being 40 years of age, it's a lot further along than a lot of people which is why I'm comfortable coaching. It's like there's there's certain things I've done where I'm like, that's like you've done your, your um, <laughs> you've earned your stripes sort of thing, but it's by no means a finished journey. I, I think that's the important thing to mention is that I don't think it really ends in that regard when you've had such a, a significant thing in, the, in your life. I think that's meant to last in some ways through the rest of the life. Maybe the symptoms aren't there, but the process of that was such a big thing that it's meant to go for, you know, until all the lessons are learned and integrated. And I'm still obviously learning a lot of the, the lessons. So that's from a long time ago. 
And it's no doubt what makes you an excellent practitioner because the last thing you want is somebody on their high horse going like, yeah, I'm done. And what, what are you waiting for? What's your problem? It's uh, yeah. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah. To me, God or Jehovah or whoever the, the heck you want to call them. I just got blown on God yesterday. They, they replaced the word God. It actually means uh, like to Lord over and control others. Mm -hmm. So they, they stole that word, darn it. And, um, <laughs> you know, so no matter, no matter where you're at in your life, this has been my experience. It seems like the, the level field is, or the, the playing field is level. So, you know, when you're two years old and, uh, you don't get to go with your sister somewhere and it's the end of your world, it is the end of your world. Like never try to take that away from a young child. And, and then, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with something, people would always apologize. Oh, I have no problems because you have cancer. And it's like, no, no, I mean, that's not, that's not it. You're, you're, you're going through your thing and I'm going through my thing. We both have something to deal with. And, uh, and I noticed that after a lot of years of working on this, I have a lot less problems out there, like none. It's almost scary sometimes that I'm like, whoa, you know, something's going to happen. But I deal with a shit ton in here. A lot, right? A lot. And, and, and now I make my own trouble. I, I do all kinds of things that make my life uh, complicated and difficult in a creative capacity, in a purposeful way. So that's very different than, than you know, just people or you know boards hitting you in the face or whatever whatever you want to call mm. it but we're all in the same boat it doesn't matter where you're at we we all have our work completely cut out for us do you think yeah definitely and i think we repeat the same mistakes until we've actually learned and integrated from them you know you say there's some things that don't go wrong anymore for me it's the same it's like for certain people in the world too you just see them we we class them as lucky like for certain people they just they never see like a poisonous animal. They never see like they never have like, the idea of breaking a bone or, or gashing their skin. It's just like that would never happen for them. But I think it's because there's a certain frequency that we essentially embody. And those frequencies attract or pull into us the events that we, we need to experience. And often we need to experience them because there's something to learn from it. And if we don't learn from those experiences, we'll continue to have the experiences until we have learned that lesson. Once we've learned that lesson and integrated it, there's no need for that lesson anymore. So it's like, you know, I used to go through a succession of abusive partners and now I'm just like never meet anybody that's abusive mm. or somebody still, every man I'm with or woman is uh, abusive. It's like, why though? You know, that's not, the odds of that happening are just, that's not, that's not a coincidence. There's something in that. There's something that you're pulling into your, your uh, field or your experience. So there's that element and it that's one of the reasons I think it's so important to take a lot of responsibility for what we're going through, no matter how sucky it might be for you to go through and what I went through. Uh, once you take the responsibility for it and realize there's no one coming to save you and there's no like, you know, then, then you can actually do something about it and you can become something different, choose a different frequency or, or raise yours to a different level. And to the, to the point as well, having an open mind is so important. I talk a lot about things like, you know, supplements. I don't recommend any. There's no, there's a lot of things I talk about and people take it as like cut and dry, but it's not because I'm still open to somebody coming along with a product and saying, hey, this is actually great and this will, this will help a lot of people. They don't have to do the inner work. They don't have to do this. This is a product or it's a supplement or whatever. And I'm still open for that to be the case. I haven't shut my mind off to that. Like I'm right and those things are always wrong kind of thing. And, uh, you know, same with being, uh, you know, plant-based and vegan and things. Not my first recommendation to people, but there are situations where that actually can be helpful. And I certainly won't 
look at a client or whatever and say, well, you can't be getting results with, with a plant-based diet because it's, it's shit and whatever. You know, like I, I don't do that. I've, I've been through so many things to see the value in many different elements or protocols or diets or ways of thinking or, or whatever and seeing successes in people who people tell me about how bad a certain religion is or this kind of you know, whatever it is. But then I see people thriving on it and I go, well, why are they thriving? There has to be some reason. So rather than make a sweeping judgment of it, I'll actually look at the reasons why I'll try to like get to the bottom of things. And, and it's led me to when I said that 90% of things are theory and 10% is really like what actually works in the real world. That's true. But there's also the element within that of every experience having a value and every thought having a value, like some weird whacked out dietary protocol or or whatever it is, for whatever reason, it can work. And you should never like question or judge something when somebody is actually thriving from it. Maybe they won't thrive on it forever or whatever, but it's like there's something in it that has some value. And what is it? And so by following some of that, you can actually find, you could figure it out. For example, when some people take certain supplements or whatever, or do a certain kind of fasting diet, they're like, I feel great. Why would I question this? And I'm like, yeah, why would you? You're obviously functioning really well. So then I look into it more deeply and what it turns out is that when people are having that experience, it's because they're overproducing hormones. So that that's why they feel great and a lift and a lot of energy, but that's obviously not a good thing because then there's extra residues. They might burn out glands and things and it's not going to lead to good times long-term. So then I look into that and then I say, well, why is that? And what's the remedy for that? So there's so many different levels to things that we should never throw things out completely. I've learned not to be judgmental. Like I was very, very judgmental when I was younger. Like I said, somebody's got depression. It's like, you know, suck it up. <laughs> or if somebody's, you know, somebody's got a real faith in Jesus or a real faith in like, you know, a deity of some kind, like the Indian religions. I'm like, what kind of eight-legged monkey man are you praying? Like what, you know, you know, like I was to that degree of, um, uh, you know, Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, like I, I could not understand why people, but, so then obviously over time I softened and um, saw the value in these sorts of things and, and um, became a lot more to the point where I'd been through so much myself that I, I now don't throw anything out or judge anybody's belief system based on what I think is the best way to do something. So I've always got that uh, openness to it. And for me, that has stopped me having these righteous stress. Um, uh, the need to be right is one of the greatest causes of stress in a human being and being very righteous, like I'm right and all these different methodologies and things are wrong, that is a form of stress because you actually have to hold that balance and that's a drain of energy. So one of the other things that helped me to not drain energy so much and get freer in myself, in all of my bodies, is that loss of righteousness and, and loss of the need to be right and an embodiment or an openness to anything. Oh, your, your, your religion is like, you know, putting a cat on your head and eating like sardines, like cool. So I don't just go, that doesn't work. Like when I was a kid and I found out about the indigenous people of Australia when we learned in school and they have their dream time and they're dreaming about how rain forms. And I'm like, what? I go, I know how rain forms. It's called evaporation. It's called, it's called condensation. It's called gravity. Like that's how, like these people are dumb. And like, these are the most, these are like the most advanced people on earth. And I'm there calling them dumb because with my science background, I can explain how rain works. And they're trying to tell me it's from the dream time. And I'm just like, oh, come on. You know, like, so so good. That, that didn't serve me. The point of that is that it didn't serve me. They can handle me judging them because they're like, oh, he'll get it one day. <laughs> you know, It didn't affect them. 
but it affected me really, really heavily. And it was me needing to let go of my judgment and my righteousness that was that was holding me down. And it's now freeing physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually for me uh, to do that. And I just know that when people are getting into health in particular, like, man, there's a million books on diet and or weight loss alone. How can there be a million books? You know, you've got to you got to be getting something real wrong or there are a lot of different ways you can approach the same uh, the same thing. And so, uh, yeah, I just think anyone that's interested in this topic that we're talking about, open mindedness is really key. Allowing people to have their way of doing things and not judge them for it. Not like, no, no, you're wrong. You've got to do it my way. Listen, I've read this book. Let me read it to you word for word. So you get to know what I know. You need to know it. But maybe they don't need to know it. You know, maybe maybe if you're resonating it, you're embodying it, they'll go, hey, there's something about you. What are you doing? What are you like? What's your philosophy or whatever on food and <laughs> stuff? Because it really is. It really does drain you when you think everybody needs to know your way. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. I love it. I've been following a uh, you're getting some really good props here. I've been following a fellow locally, Bill Sullivan. I've, I've hosted him on my channel, I guess, three times now. So you could go back and look for his interviews if you like as well. But uh, he, he's got he's been through 40 years of of uh, trying to bust his knowledge out into the world that never didn't want it because he's four decades ahead of himself, basically. And it's trained him to to two things like incredible power in his message and then incredible humility in, in, in the in the delivery. So he goes to everything with this pre fab disposition that I'm going to learn something. I'm not here to like call anybody out or tell them that they're wrong or or find the flaws in their process. I'm here for the nuggets. We all have some truth and and you know, so I've been watching him and it's so tempting to to just go, "Oh, I've just found a flaw in that guy's system and I'm just going to, you know, I'm now I'm veering away and I'm not I'm not in there anymore." But but Bill would sit and go like, "Well, what can we take from this that that will be of use in a, in a much more humble way?" So I'm learning yep. better late than never. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm, it might be part of my um, uh, introversion in that as well. But if I'm in a group and people are getting together to, to discuss things, I'm uh, unless I'm being paid to talk or I'm asked to like, can you be the one that talks? Like I'm the last to speak because I actually like to hear everybody in the group rather than tell everybody what I think is the best way to do something or whatever. I usually like to hear everybody out because first of all, I'm going to pick something up or learn something from others. And also uh, because maybe what I was going to say isn't relevant until there's um, there's a there's a need to say whatever. So that's uh, I I I think I get that guy's approach because I, I have a similar way of looking at things. Exactly, and I think this is also relatively new for me. But I had a, a guest on not too far ago, and I won't call it out. But and, but I wasn't agreeing with him. But I, I was actually really impressed because all, all I felt about it wasn't to argue with him or make my point. It was to see through his eyes. I really wanted to see through his eyes, not to interfere or anything like that. I just had this hunger to see through his eyes. And to me, that's that's such a high space to be in. You're, you're curious and it's fun, whatever, whatever you find. It's just cool. It's like, oh, there's me having that experience. How nice is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, very much because I wasn't like that at all. And the reason I say this now is because when I was 18, 19, 21, 22, I was like, no, I'm right. <laughs> should listen to what I've got to say. It's a, sure. and, I, and I knew that. And that's actually when, you know, at that age, early, early 20s, I did want to write a book. I really thought everybody should, should hear what I had to say. And then I, I heard a quote from an older guy, 70 something year old author. He says, the world needs books, 
it doesn't necessarily need your book. And I was like, uh, probably right, actually. Maybe I should actually <laughs> get more experience and wisdom before I go ahead and write a book and maybe then people don't even need it then. So it's uh, having that humility of, uh, you know, just realizing there's nothing new under the sun and, and hey, like there's uh, everybody does have something of value to offer. They really do. But sometimes I find anyway, personally, there's so much noise in the world that it's really hard to pick up on any sound, you know, anything of value, anything musical. It's like there's just noise everywhere because everybody's talking, everybody's got an opinion and everybody's got a new thing and this, that and the other. And I think it pollutes like the, the energetic airwaves. I think if people were a bit more like, okay to just sit in their center and wait for the opportunity or wait for it to be asked to come out and then i think that that will carry a lot reverberate a lot more cleanly through the uh through the atmosphere the the uh, ionosphere yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i started noticing that especially in the legal conversations the more people knew the less they said because they they were they were in the habit of taking information in and just sitting back and processing and so yeah it's uh, you become less and less certain of anything as your wisdom grows you got some props for your uh, your beard by the way and uh oh, nice. what, yeah what did, what did mark said great wisdom comes with great beard <laughs> <laughs> and we have baldini here great wisdom and a beard so there's there's a theme here it's ongoing <laughs> yeah i used to say that um i used i used to think you'd have to father a child to become a man but it turns out all you got to do is grow a beard aha <laughs> uh -huh. there you go it's all, it's all handled yeah. Do you have children, Tom? No, I don't. No. Okay. No. Okay. It's not too late. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I'm 40, and I'm like very uh, biologically quite young anyway. But I mean, men can mm -hmm. have kids in their 70s. It's not really like we've got a biological clock. So. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty different. Definitely. Mm. Um, so let's see. I would like to talk to you about water because that's something I know that you've uh, spoken about really specifically there's there's that maybe what you would call a myth about you have to drink eight cups of water a day and people are drowning themselves actually the uh, the producer of an Acapulco had a, a water emergency she was chugging water all day long and all of a sudden her hands and feet went numb and she had to be rushed to the hospital mm. and and they told her it was because she had too much water yeah so. yeah people have died from that there's a there's a I remember I've I forget don't know why I can't remember it. There's a name for it. It's uh, some uh, pulmonary something or other, but it's a, like some form of edema. And there was a guy who was like a renowned health expert. He was like chugging water before he was going on stage to deliver to like thousands and thousands of people. And he died backstage because he just drank five liters of water. <laughs> oh so, my Lord. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's and he was about to go on stage and tell everyone else to do the same, you know, it's just. Oh, well, that was good timing then. <laughs> yeah. Not after. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible how we override. I think you said this earlier, we override our our internal experience and favor yeah. the thought of the theory of something that's that's supposed to work. And so you can't see like it's not working actually. It's just not working. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan yeah. of reality. What's actually going on yeah. here? Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what about quality of water? I think I, I heard you say that when, when people like, is it, is it, is it better to get water from your food? I think I, I heard you say listening to one of your podcasts. Yeah. So, um, uh, where do you want to start with it? Cause there's a, that's a few different topics with water. Where do you want to start okay. with? The, yeah. Well, let's start with quality of water. Just what people okay. generally think is good quality water. Yep. So the, the greatest quality of water is bound in food. The reason it, it's the highest quality of water is because it's gone through a natural uh, 
amplification method and also a purification method. So when mm. water is uptaken from the, the ground, for example, in a food or it's eaten by an, a plant is eaten by an animal, uh, it's it's gotten a certain processing from the water where it's got the right osmolality, it's got the right um, the right uh, ionic charge, it's got the right uh, everything. It's cleaned too. It's been cleaned in order to go through that process. So that makes it very bioavailable and obviously very clean. So it's a less polluted state of water and it's it's very bioavailable. Like that means that your cells will bring that water into them because there's a, a number of factors that need to, uh, you know, be in place for that to happen. Pure water by itself is not very bioavailable at all. It doesn't have the right ionic charge. So it's not, it's not charged electrically to, at the right uh, point that will actually enter the body very, uh, very easily. And the osmolality is like the salt mineral concentrate ratio. Um, that also has a big bearing on whether or not the channels in the cells will open up to let it in or close off to let it kind of just go past. So you, there's a lot that goes into it without getting too technical. So basically water bound in food is the best. It's the cleanest and it's the most bioavailable. After that, the best sources of water are rainwater and spring water. Uh, reason being is because, again, it's the most natural. It's gone through a natural process, and that natural process gives it a certain energetic property. It's much different to something that's been sitting in a, in a dam or a you know, pipe, your town water in that for a long, long time, which changes its charge. It changes its properties. It's softer or it's harder or it's more... It doesn't really matter about the acid alkaline. We can talk about that as well. It's more just the actual energetic property of the water. And then obviously how clean it is because when it's run through agricultural runoff and, um, you know, town water supplies and really, really old copper piping and all that sort of stuff and who knows what in the in the processing plants, chemicals and stuff, they had chlorine and fluoride and other things, that's no longer a, a, a vital element. Water is an element and it has a vitality and we can definitely beat that out of it. And uh, there's a lot of experiments that show too, even just speaking or playing water to or having projecting thoughts onto water can change its crystalline structure. Forget the name guy's name. Is it Morimoto? It, yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Uh, he, he did those experiments and other people have uh, repeated those same experiments where uh, water does carry a charge and it carries a memory. So the memory, this is getting into like very subatomic subatomic um, levels, but the memory in something interacts with your RNA and DNA. So then you will get, for example, if you drink water that's come from a spring or the rain in your area or plants and animals that are grown in your area, there is a code about the state of the environment that's embedded as a memory in the water. And when you bring that into your body, which is mostly water, it, it speaks. There's a code that is decoded and you know, your body knows toxicity levels, uh, environmental factors, this, that, and the other that's going along. And you speak it, you, it speaks to you. If you have water that's been beaten down from like towns away and whatever, it's just, or you're drinking like Evian water or something from like another country, it's not that it's bad water, it's clean, but it doesn't have the communication network with your body that's teaching you about your own environment. But there's all these levels to something that we consume in our body that people don't really think about. But it's there's everything carries information and a memory. So if you want a traumatic memory brought into your body or an irrelevant memory, that's that's one thing. Or having a memory that's very pure and very uh, vital and very useful for your immediate environment, that's that's another thing altogether. 
So that's the quality of water. And then, of course, you're talking about um, water filtration systems because a lot of people don't have access to or don't want to go and get collect spring or rainwater, so they just want a home filtration system. That's fine. It's definitely not as good. doesn't matter what the marketing people say that sell these products. Yeah. They're, staking, they're taking a bastardized water source and then trying to purify it. You know, it's, oh, it's energetic, it's structured, it's this, it's that. And is it better than town water? Yeah, way better. But it's still not as good as the natural variety. Why would you want to take something, you know, it's like if I can just take air from here and breathe it in and it's pure because of my natural environment, why would I want to take like air from China that's like polluted, run it through a depolluting machine that then puts new ions in it and then breathe that? Why would I do that when I could, you know, so... When they when they do their marketing, tell you it's better than spring water and rainwater, it's not. But is it better than town water? Absolutely, way better. So home filtration systems are definitely a must for people that are on town water. Um, just don't buy into the marketing thing. To the point, the more money you spend does not necessarily mean you're getting a better product. I've seen a lot that are like basically multi-level marketed and a lot of the fees go into just paying the guy that is selling it to you, you buy into their business and stuff. It's like that to me already takes away from the but why would that need to be the case? So it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're not worth the money that they're spending quite often. Like the guy you mentioned before, who for 40 years has been doing stuff that nobody really cared about. It's like the people who are the most prolific and the most popular probably aren't the best people giving the best information. It's like the most popular. And so same with some of these companies that make filtration systems, you might need to do a bit of digging and you might find one that's like relatively not that well known, but is probably the best product. It's not the most expensive. It's not the best marketed or well known. That might very well be the best one. So all you need to do is don't listen to the marketing. Look at the breakdown that's actually independently verified of what it does take out of the water and then just go by that. How, much, how many minerals are still left in it? How much of the shit is taken out? That's all you need to do. You might get one that costs a couple of hundred dollars that does it as good as or a better job than one that costs six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So uh, don't just think the price is the indicator of uh, you know how good the filtration system is because I have looked at a lot of them because of what the industry that I work in and what people you know want to know for their homes. So um, uh, definitely a good idea to get not just the drinking water but your bathing water as well. If you're having baths and showers mm-hmm. in hot water, especially. And you, uh, all of that stuff, if it's going on your skin and you're breathing it in, it's kind of the same as drinking it. So best to clean that water source as well. Even if it's just something as simple as a charcoal filter or something that's on the shower head or the bath faucet, and uh, that can go a long way. So that's the quality of water. Hopefully summarize that. Yeah, that's really good. We're, it's so stupid what we're dealing with. Uh, you know, the, the fluoride in the water and, the, and chlorine, our, our water is heavily chlorinated as well which I imagine uh, everybody's is to some extent. But, uh, you know, I just want to wash my vegetables. I stopped washing my vegetables because why would I go and wash them in fluoride water (laughs) so that I can, right? Like I'd rather have the dirt. And yeah, but who knows what what chemicals. Yeah, well, uh, it's good to, if you're not getting organic stuff, and even if you are getting organic stuff that's coming from a store, it's generally better to rinse it. I'm lucky I've got rainwater, so I'm good. But if I had town water, I would use a filter on it. And then what I would do is I'd probably run it into a, uh, put a plug into the sink and just fill the sink, put all the produce in and then put a cup of apple cider vinegar in and leave it for about 10 minutes because the apple cider vinegar does help to neutralize the, some of the chlorines and the other the, uh, pesticides and things that might be on foods. So once it's neutralized with the apple cider vinegar, then you can just like wipe it clean with a towel or something and then you've got most of that stuff off. So it can still help to 
to rinse, especially if it's you, you don't know that it's definitely free of chemicals and sprays. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was under the impression also that when you get the apple cider is, is a good example that I was able to use tap water for my ferments that I make, whether it's kefir water, uh, mm -hmm. because it was, I was told that it transmutes or it makes bioavailable all of the chemicals in there. Is that true for fluoride that you know of? Not sure about the fluoride. I know yeah. for, for chlorine, for chlorine, yeah, but fluoride, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, we're lucky in our region. I mean, I don't have tap water anyway, but they don't mm -hmm. put fluoride in the water, in the town water in our region, in our shire. Oh, they right. still chlorinate it, but they don't use fluoride, which is uh, pretty cool. Right on. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. And and rainwater yeah. compared to spring water is pretty different. Are, are you are you yeah. familiar or a fan of uh, primary water? Do you know that that term? Uh, yeah, well, it's um, but people use it in different ways. So do you mean as like how which way are you talking about? So the difference, say, say rain would be secondary water and then primary water would be like a spring that came from the earth, from the, the mixing of gases and, and the creation of, of new water, like waterfalls and springs and geysers mm. that come from the center of the earth. Uh, I was told it's very different water from rainwater, which has circulated through all of our pollution, right? Like mm. that's one thing that we, uh, people would say, don't drink the water because it's full of whatever chemicals are in the air. How do you, yeah. how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, because I some people use primary water the other way around, and they also use use it for uh, different different uh, definitions. But for sure, it does depend on where you live. Like if I lived in Hong Kong or something, I wouldn't drink the rainwater. Um, Got it. There's a yeah. There's definitely natural purification that happens when it goes through the earth. That's why spring water is my preferred uh, way. So what I do is um, my drinking water. Yeah, I'll drink some that comes from here, but mostly I use the rainwater for bathing. That's what its main purpose is. This my main drinking water is comes from a local spring that's very clean, and then also when we've had weather like we've got now where it's really raining, I go to the top of um, one of the falls, and uh, a lot of people go there and collect it. So we go up with uh, you know twenty liter uh, drums, and we go up and we fill those up and we collect, and the ta it's so sweet, and because of the way it's running and stuff, like the energetic of it is very noticeable. Um, so yeah, definitely the purer the water source, the better. But then some people say, well, how do you know the spring's clean? What if it's close to some, you know, what, where they're mining water from somewhere? There's always a reason that you can say, no, that's not good enough. But realistically, where I live, the rainwater is very clean because we live in a, this region of the world is not highly polluted at all. So yeah, there's chemtrails and stuff too, but there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot in that where I think you can buy too much into the fear and the, oh, no, it's going to kill you. Because if you break mm -hmm. anything down, it can probably kill you. Your water, your food, doesn't matter what it is. There's some element. Oh, did you know about phytotoxins? Do you know about this? Do you know about like, it's like everything can kill you in theory. So it's important to be aware of the amount of you know, radiation or the amount of pollution in your area and take that into account. Don't ignore it. But when you know where you live and the rainwater, for example, here is definitely a good choice. And if you're still worried, filter the rainwater. That's an easy thing to do as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And then same with your spring water. You can do that. There's a couple of products I should mention. Uh, one, you can't get it overseas. There's a guy here who's in our community that's like just a bit genius making up his own stuff. There's, he makes one called Clarity. You'd be able to get the equivalent in different places. It's literally just fulvic minerals. It's plant minerals that have come from the soil. So it's a very high mineral concentrate that you put in the water. But what also happens is if you put it into the water 
and you uh, it's only a small amount, you leave it for a day, you can actually see solid particles in the water, like very small. But what that has done, it's, it's attracted anything that's a, it's a solid compound out of the water, not wow. mineral salts, but anything that's toxic, anything that might be metal bound or whatever. And it's amazing. It actually attracts it. It sits at the bottom as a sediment. You go, wow, that was in the water, but you couldn't see it in there. And it's actually bounded. Now, you can even drink that because it's now bound ionically by those minerals and it'll pass through you. Or you could put it through a, like a sieve and like a cheesecloth and filter that out. But either way, that's the way you can clean water. And what uh, Paul Check does, he builds himself a water charger. And you could probably just look him up on YouTube. Just look up Paul Check, C-H-E-K, and water charger or something like that. He builds his own. He builds rock structures and he places his water jugs inside and he says that at different times of the month, depending on like where the moon is and whatever else, the water will taste completely different. Sometimes it'll feel super soft, like it's almost just sinking into your tongue. And other times it feels like more like more vital. And other times it feels uh, you know, harder and whatever. It goes through different properties. So you can do this sort of stuff at home. You can have home water structuring devices that don't cost a lot of money. You can do it with magnets. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do if you want to get right down that rabbit hole of water and how to um, change it to your liking. <laughs> right on. Wow. There's so much there. Um, definitely keep me posted if, if you have any time to stop there. I have one very selfish question regarding mm-hmm. health, and it is it is because I've had such a static problem. We're in a drought here, and it's getting worse. Our floodway is empty. I've never in my life seen an empty floodway in the spring. And uh, it's so such high electrical um, charge around here. Everything I touch is giving me a zap. So what, is there anything mm. you would recommend there in terms of ionizing your space? I've got plants all over the place, as you can see. It's not like a particular That's what dry. I was going to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, plants are the best thing. There are a lot of devices that do that. Um, I just haven't, we're about to independently test a few of them with proper, like high quality meters and then test a lot of the devices that are, um, widely available so blue shield devices you got those usb ones that are supposed to clean the air uh there's a lot of different things that are supposed to do it and i can't comment because i haven't independently tested them i just know what we're told but again that's an unregulated industry so the people that make and sell it can tell you whatever they want it's not independently verified to do what they're saying so plants to me are the number one they definitely reduce and soak up emf they don't get harmed by it it's like they're very strange creatures the plants they have a lot of wonderful uh uses for us and for the environment so definitely filling your home with plants is is one of those things um as far as grounding yourself uh having water and soil is really important to do that because to be able to ground your own energy through that then the other thing you could do is take uh hot bars that you can or don't even have to be hot but an ionic bath is one or a discharge bath is when you use equal amounts of bicarb sodium bicarbonate and uh, Epsom salts. Hmm. And that can help to, uh, for whatever reason, whatever concentration of mineral salts that does help to discharge some of the, uh, any built up electrical radiation in the body. Otherwise it's through deep breathing. It's through grounding to the earth, feed on the soil and the grass and things like that. And then running water does help to do that as well. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably difficult if you're in an unusual situation there, but by the looks of it, I think you're probably doing what you can. (laughs) And yeah, uh, well, thank you so much for checking my humidity. Yes. Like, would a humidifier make any difference or is that? Just yeah, I think it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you yeah. go. 
Okay, cool. So thank you for that advice. We've got the opposite problem here. We need dehumidifiers dehumidifiers here because everything gets lost to mold in people's houses and stuff. So anyone, you would never sell a humidifier where we live. Yeah, exactly. We have the opposite problem. We're, we are desertifying in this in this climate. Yeah. It's been been going on, and, and now it's over the top. But we don't. We had we had rain yesterday. I was like, wow, rain! Oh my gosh! And just a few yeah, drops. Right. So, yeah, it's yeah. insane. Um, I guess the other thing though that we yeah. didn't discuss is we mm-hmm. sort of you sort of touched on it, but the, it's the amount of water that people drink. That mm-hmm. to me is that's one of the biggest uh, kind of myths that people are presented with is the amount of water that we're supposed to drink like three liters a day or whatever that is like that's a lot of how what is it do you work in are oh, you work in metric don't you because you yes we do yeah 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 and it's but america and that that mm-hmm. we'll work still on say, fluid ounces and oh sorry yeah, i keep so, interrupting but we'll still say cups for some reason for water so like we're, we're you do, mostly okay, metric right. but for some reason it's eight cups a day i don't know what that is yeah eight cups of yeah yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. we yeah eight cups or glasses were recommended today so I was back in my training days, I was going through between probably three to five liters of water a day. That's, I was sweating a lot, you know, training twice a day heavily. And, but I was still just chugging water because I, I'd learned in my period from going from being quite unhealthy on purpose to wanting to get really healthy, I'd learned you drink a lot of water. And so I was drinking way beyond capacity of thirst or natural, um, natural inclination to need the water. So it was when I actually, was starting to question everything that I was doing. And um, I'd still got in my mind that I was probably drinking too much water, but um, and it was just coming through common sense uh, analysis of what I was doing. I was going everywhere with bottles of water and I was just thinking, is this like, this just doesn't seem right to have to carry this amount of water around with me. Like, let's say that the system we live in wasn't available and it, like, where would I be getting all this water? What, what would I be carrying it in? You know, did tribes people actually carry this much water? Because I'm sure that they don't. I'd look into some anthropology studies of tribes and water and it's like they don't drink that much at all and they can go on massive journeys and don't drink any water. How are they doing that? They're not carrying around a backpack full of water with them. They don't even have that many places to source it from. So then I'm thinking, well, all right, so I started to change my mind, but then it was from a rock concert. Actually, I was a festival. I went to a festival and because I'd snuck in, the only thing I could get in with was a 250-milliliter a uh, bottle of water, which is maybe two cups. And so I've gone through, I was just sipping it like really slow sips every now and then. And I was a bit worried because I'm like, hey, I need more water than this. But it got through like four or five hours and I was like, I'm feeling really good for some reason. I feel warmer than I've been feeling in the last however many years. Uh, I feel really calm. I feel like I actually feel really good. And I'm just going, can't be to do with like not drinking as much water, can it? And uh, it was one of the first realizations I had that drinking less water was going to make me feel physiologically uh, better. And then when I start looking into what drinking too much water does, it's a stress to the kidneys. It's stressing the kidneys. It's stress to the adrenals. Uh, it's, a, it's a stress to the body. Uh, you've got it, it actually makes when you drink a glug water, which is what I was doing, it actually makes the the blood the blood needs to uh, thicken needs to thicken back up. So it'll dump. Um, it'll dump water out of its system to the straight to the kidneys to thicken the blood up so that it, mm. you can maintain homeostasis, heat and things like that. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll stop. I'll just taper it off. And I did. I tapered it off and all of a sudden, way warmer, um, better gut function, better moods, like better uh, better sleep, better everything. I'm like, damn, like this, what was I doing to my body? Demineralizing my body and doing all this stuff. And then 
it's funny, you know, because after I started doing that and then I started to, I was doing a lot. Funnily enough, when I was working as a physical therapist, I was treating a lot of yoga practitioners because they overstretched their bodies all the time. I was treating them for like uh, L2, L3, uh, L4, L5, like a lot of lumbar kind of conditions and, and micro tears in the hamstrings. So I was treating a lot of yoga teachers who were overstretching. And all of them, I was just noticing they'll go into the toilet every hour or less than every hour, as in more than like every half hour, 45 minutes. And they're always, it's like a 25 degree room and they're wearing a blanket and stuff. And I'm just going, what's wrong? Like you're, and I'm going, you're drinking a lot of water, aren't you? Because <laughs> started to pick it. And they were, they're drinking way too much water. I have to go to the bathroom every hour. Um, you know, in a, in a room where everyone else is wearing a t-shirt, they've got a blanket wrapped around them. And, um, and that's what happens when you overconsume water. And it, it exacerbates stresses. You will be less emotionally stable when you are overhydrated. You'll have less of an ability to, to generate heat, to digest food, to do everything when you've got too much water in the system. So that's the short version of it. Uh, so basically, raw food is majority water. So you've got uh, fruits and vegetables, they're 90% or more of water. Eggs, about the same. Uh, raw milk is like 80-something percent water. Uh, you've got uh, even meats, they're like 60 to 70% water if they're raw. When you cook stuff, you see the steam come up, that's the water leaving it. Until then, it's mostly water. Like our body, our human body, science tells us is 70-ish 70, 70 percent water. So same with anything that's like a flesh food from an animal, it's 70% water. So the majority of my water comes from my foods and it makes a big difference. You can really feel it. You feel how hydrating raw food can be. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody go onto a raw food diet. It's just to say that the more raw food you eat, the less water you need to consume as plain water. The more cooked food you eat, the more water you'll need to consume. But then you can also get that water in the form of uh, you know, vegetable juices or something else that is a raw food to complement uh, your diet. So the amount of actual plain water that you drink is nowhere near as much as people say. Are you sweating a lot, doing a lot of sports? Sure, go for it. Have the water, but don't have a predetermined amount that you're trying to meet because that's probably not what your body wants. So just go to thirst. Like that mechanism is not faulty when people say, Oh, if you're already if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated and you and it's bad. It's like, well, come on, like how could how could the creator have got something so like intricately complex and just got thirst wrong? You know, drink before you're thirsty because your body just doesn't know what it's doing. It's faulty. It's that you've got a defective body. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like going if you don't need to go to the bathroom to poo, you should go and sit on the toilet and strain really hard because by the time you need to poo, you're already constipated. It's like it's like that kind of logic. It just doesn't make any sense. So our thirst mechanism is there for a reason. If you're thirsty, you should drink and drink slowly. If you're not used to, if this is new to you, si start sipping water because you'll find if you have a really tall glass of water, if you just like glug, 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 you'll drink the whole thing and then you might still be thirsty because you put yourself into a negative feedback cycle. But if you sip the water and then swallow it and then sip it again, you might find you only need that much. And you go, hey, I'm not thirsty anymore. But if you go and you drink the whole thing and you don't learn how much water you actually do and don't need in a situation. So sometimes you have to retrain this because thirst in particular is a very easy one to once you start drinking too much, you're always thirsty, even though your body doesn't need the water.
So good, so good. And I heard you say on, a, on another stream too, if, if you're dehydrated, what's the best way to, to cure that dehydration? Uh, to, well, to, well, there's a way you can find that out, but to cure it, well, just have some water, it's fine. It's not like you don't absorb it at all. It's just not that bioavailable. To me, something like if you're going to do water, at least put something in to help structure the water like lemon, squeeze some lemon juice or something into the water that makes it more bioavailable. Uh, tomatoes eaten just raw by themselves are very hydrating. Uh, basically, any raw food like that, but uh, tomatoes in particular are very hydrating. Uh, reasons you can, ways you can test if you're dehydrated is if you pinch the back of your skin, you let it go, it should spring back like immediately. Now, that's just part of it. That's not that's your only hydration test. That goes along with a lot of other factors because some people you do it and then you let it go and it's still like all takes a while to come back. So that works up until you're about 90. If you're 90, that's probably not going to spring back, you know. So like it's your bio biology as well. Uh, but other things like the frequency of urine should be around every four hours. If you're urinating more frequently, you're definitely hydrated enough. Uh, if you're urinating less than that, you might need more water. And then the color of it, if it's like a, just a pale yellow, you're hydrated. If it's clear, you're overhydrated. If it's like really dark, or really orange or like it glows in the dark for some reason, then you probably need more water and you, you need to consume more water because people do get dehydrated. Absolutely, they do. Through their lifestyle, through too many toxic and processed foods, that'll dehydrate you. Too many heavily cooked foods, that will dehydrate you and you will need to drink more water. And um, the smell of urine can be an indication too. Uh, yeah, so lots of little, little things can tell you if you're hydrated, if you're not yet in tune with your body just to know whether you need water or not. Mm -hmm. And that basic thirst, it's just like you said, God wouldn't have tricked us like, ha oh, ha, I, I gave you thirst, yeah. but it really meant <laughs> yeah. it. like, come on, world. Yeah. you think we live in here. So that's really good. Um, are, yeah. If you have time, do you do you want to talk about adrenals a little bit? Because I know yep. that's a really big subject for people. I, I've burnt my adrenals out like I can't have caffeine anymore. That's it's just over for yeah. me and caffeine, which is good, actually, in the in the long run. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, some of these things are little gifts, right? It's like some people just go, oh, my diet's so strict now. I can't eat like burgers and stuff. And it's like, isn't that a good thing? <laughs> like, isn't it good that you've had this pain teacher that's now teaching you what your body actually does and doesn't need? Because that stuff's like matrix food. It's not real food. It's like you're missing something that was not real in the first place. So I think sometimes when we go through these, um, you know, these experiences, I do find them gifts because they can lead us out of things that we're not doing us uh, favors in the first place. Mm -hmm. So yeah, adrenals are a big, a big thing. Almost there are so many people that have some level of adrenal fatigue in our modern world simply because of the lifestyle that we're living and the amount of toxicity that we are exposed to. So uh, I guess for those that don't know what an adrenal is, it's a gland. It's it works in our glandular and organ system, and it sits right above the kidneys. They're essentially referred to as the battery packs of the body. They they're like our energy system. So when you have chronic fatigue, like I did. Um, you generally have stage three or four uh, adrenal fatigue, like end-stage adrenal fatigue. Stage There's stage three, stage two, stage one, varying degrees of it. Stage one is just your stress, you know, a bit, bit stress, you're not handling stress that well. Stage two, there's more symptoms. Stage three and four, there's more symptoms again to the point where you've pretty much, they're not functioning. Now, there's a lot of different um, ways to look at this. There are people that have become adrenal uh, experts and they've got their diets and protocols and programs and books. Not saying that they don't have any value, but I think they haven't quite got to the full understanding of how it integrates into the whole body like we were talking about earlier. They might have it really down pat 
with the adrenals by themselves, but not how they function with the whole body. So uh, the ways that you will get adrenal fatigue or what does it feel like? Well, adrenal fatigue really just feels like inability to handle stress, uh, just less general energy, less general strength, less uh, endurance. Um, you probably find you'll be related with some thyroid issue as well, like inability to regulate body temperature or appetite um, uh elimination cycles things like that uh even uh, menstrual cycles that can be affected as well so there's a lot that can be packaged into adrenals adrenals again don't work by themselves they have a very close relationship to the thyroid and uh well and the rest of the systems as well but just in particular the thyroid so those are some of the symptoms that you might notice also uh hair loss falling out uh, eyebrows not being full they might the outer thirds might disappear um Anyway, lots of stuff, skin conditions, there's too many things to list. But that's what adrenal fatigue is. How you get there is that you've just overfilled your stress basket. Paul Check refers to it as a stress basket, and we fill that with lots of different types of stress, emotional stress, relationship stress, financial stress, um, needing to be right stress, worried about the world stress. And then there's physical stress, going to the gym, working out too hard, too often, uh, that kind of stuff. It all adds up. The body does not differentiate between different kinds of stress. So you might say, well, I've got no financial stress because I'm a millionaire. But that doesn't matter if you're punishing yourself in the gym and the body doesn't differentiate. Stress is stress. So the more different ways that fills up, you will overfill that stress basket. You You can't just say, well, you know, like I'm good for money, so I'm good for stress. You know, it doesn't work like that. So let's say that also works with exercise just quickly. One of the ways Paul uh, talks about it is that if you've already got a relatively full stress basket and then you walk into the gym with that and then you just work out real hard, you, you're just putting more stuff in that. Even though exercise is stress relieving, right? If you're stressed, go and exercise. It's good for the body. It is. And it does relieve stress. But if you're doing it too much, it only adds to that stress basket, which is why you need to be smarter about how you work out or whether you work in instead of working out. For example, that's a separate topic, but just just highlighting how some things like, hey, I'll go take a bunch of drugs and have a bender because it lets me relax. But that's stressing the body out. It's stressing the system out. So it might not have the effect that you're thinking it's going to have. Point Mm -hmm. being, stress fills up and your body doesn't differentiate. So that's how we end up with adrenal fatigue. We get out of balance. We are not balanced in our mental, emotional capacities. We're too yang, not enough yin, which is the feminine, for example. Uh, We have too many wrong foods, stresses the body out. Uh, we we are, are hiding and running from things like our emotions and our shadows and we overwork, we overtrain, we avoid uh, certain things and that all that all depletes the adrenals. Now, the adrenals are also re- really related to the kidneys and funnily enough, like relevant to my journey, uh, one of the um, like uh, psycho-emotional kind of elements that drains kidneys is low self-esteem. Low self-esteem will drain kidney energy or kidney chi, which is also going to be uh, heavy on the adrenals. So that's like the emotional element to how the kidneys and the adrenals work. Low self-esteem, low self-worth. Very, very common in most people in their shadow elements. Those are the unmet needs of the child. Carl Jung, famous psychologist, talks about the shadow being the unmet needs of the child. Times where you were yelled at or weren't given love or weren't approved. You did a good thing and everyone's like, that shit, why did you do that? Whatever. Uh, lacking approval at school, not getting good enough grades, not making the sports team can all add up to unmet needs of a child, which can drain kidney energy and adrenals later in life. 
if they still play out in that story or that electrical loop that they're stored in. And so these are all important to hand, to uh, get a, a hold on as well is these elements of our unmet needs that might still be playing out in our adult life. And those unmet needs can lead us to be making the conscious decisions like overeating candy or uh, working too hard. They can all come from that. That's driving these behaviors. So that's why, as you were saying earlier, Beth, you know, it's not these mental, emotional, spiritual aspects have such a huge bearing on how the physical body operates because it's usually coming from there. That's usually unconsciously driving. Like, why am I punishing myself? Like, why am I avoiding having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Why am I, why am I working so hard? Like, what am I avoiding? You know, it's like, this is common things people do. For me, it was working out all the time. But I didn't feel I was running from anything. I did it because I loved it. I love sport. I love going to the gym. I loved it. I, was, I didn't feel I was running from stuff. But really, I was out of balance and I was because I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't, have, didn't go to parties. You know, I was just dedicated to that pursuit of that kind of thing. So that's how we can end up with adrenal fatigue. So how can we support adrenals? Well, from a more passive point of view, there are plenty of herbs that support adrenals, such as uh, withania. You've got um, angiographis, which is an adaptogenic herb. You would generally get these from a Chinese medicine practitioner or a naturopath. Little caveat with that is that ask them where it comes from because they come in those mediherb uh, uh, extracted in alcohol liquefied herbs generally there's a lot of metals in that in there so you got to be careful about how much of that stuff you take all the types i don't take any herbs but that's uh just me i do it through foods but it's there's a lot of different ways to do it so the passive way is to take adaptogenic herbs are they bad no are they good yes just be aware of the source and the quality of the herbs that you get uh then you've got your sleep wake cycles they have a very very uh, definitive effect on how the adrenal system works and how they will recover. Uh, so that means getting to bed as best as possible, no later than 10.30 p.m. And as much as possible, <laughs> getting up more in tune with the sun. There are, we have a, what's called a circadian rhythm and that's where our, um, our organs and things not only produce their hormones, like glands produce their hormones, but the organs go through their regenerative and repair cycles. It's when digestion is optimal, when sleep is optimal and repair is optimal. And if we're outside of that circadian rhythm, we won't be repairing ourselves properly to the point that we need to function well. So circadian rhythms and sleep, then your exposure to light will affect that. Too much blue light like screens and being indoors under artificial light is not good. Being around as much natural light as possible is much better. Now, you can replicate that with something like red lights, red light therapy and infrared lights. It's good. It still doesn't match the sun and natural light. So it can help, but it does not replace the sun. Get as much natural light as possible and grounding yourself. So your electrical body needs to go through its cycles of charging and grounding, charging and discharging. Mm -hmm. So that means being in nature enough to get enough grounding with feet. I mean, fair enough, if you live in a frozen area, you don't get your feet in the soil, but you can still expose yourself to elements. And uh, that's that's kind of like the more in tune with nature you are, the better, basically, for your adrenals. So then it's what are you doing to support them and nourish them? Drinking too much water is going to deplete them. Having uh, things that are sweeter in nature can, can help. So raw honey is good to have in water with lemon, for example. That's a good mm. thing to have. Foods that support the adrenals are um, anything that's like very grounding in nature, uh, you know, 
Heavier foods like fats and proteins are good for the adrenals. Getting some carbohydrates in is necessary too. You generally don't want to go and cut out carbohydrates when you have uh, uh, adrenal issues. Now, I'll talk about salt last, but um, you've got uh, – you're basically just trying to nourish. Foods that are grounding and and heavier in nature are going to support the adrenals. You need certain nutritional profiles. You need magnesium, uh, copper, manganese. You need magnesium. But you can get too caught up in these sorts of like, oh, how much milligrams am I getting of that? So the the greater the uh, nutrient content of your food, which means eating whole and natural foods, the better. Animal foods carry a greater significance of uh, a lot of these makeups than plant foods. Does that mean eat like a carnivore? No. It just means don't rely too heavily on your plant-based sources of food when you have adrenal fatigue. When your body is suppressed, mm-hmm. you generally need these heartier heavier, more nutrient-dense food, which generally come from animal products and the fats that are uh, contained with it, the fat-soluble vitamins and nutrients. So then after that, you've got um, keeping warm. If you allow yourself to get too cold, that depletes the adrenal system. So that means keep your feet warm, especially. Don't go walking around because a lot of people around our area and places where people are getting into natural living, they're like, no shoes ever again. Mm-hmm. bare feet everywhere and that's good for grounding it really is and as i said grounding is important for the adrenal health but letting your feet get cold your kidneys get drained through the soles of your feet through the uh the heels especially and your and the your, um forefoot the ball of your foot so don't let that happen you've got to keep them warm as soon as they get cold you you deplete your energy your kidney energy your chi so don't let that happen uh keep your feet warm and also keep your kidneys warm. So even if you need to wear a kidney belt, if you live in a cold climate, like I'm lucky here in Byron, you know, like it's like warm, but wear a kidney belt or something, keep your body warm. Um, to the point also having warm bars helps to tonify the adrenal system. Uh, warm bars with salt, salting the water. So salt water is really good. Ocean water, salting the bath water, things like that, that really helps. I'll talk about salt now, then I'll get back to diet because it's known that can I, salt. Can I quickly jump in just before yeah. you get past the, the stay warm? When I when I saw my naturopath mm-hmm. for cancer, uh, I would ask him advice every single day, and every single day he would follow up his advice with and stay warm. So I just wanted to, and and, and that was a big thing yeah. for me that I don't let myself get cold anymore, and, yeah. and my health is way better overall. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really is important. It's important to stay warm, and not once the body starts to lose its heat, it's really hard to get it back. You probably know that feeling. Yeah. So. It's really important to stay warm and be smart about it. Don't let yourself get a chill kind of thing. Totally. Uh, even if it means, yeah, yeah. And there's lots of ways to do that, you know, just keeping the kidneys and the feet and the, the head warm, especially, you know, and the hands, that'll help as well. But remembering as well, a great way to put out your fire is to douse it with water. So don't go over consuming water because it will drop that internal heat as well. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, with the salt, a lot of people say that uh you use a lot of salt because it's good for the adrenals. Now, that is actually true, but you don't need a lot. This is a thing with salt, too much excessive um, like salt that's separate from food and you add back in. It's actually very drying and not real good for the body. Um, it, you're better off to get the natural mineral salts bound in raw food. That's the best way to get it. Find a salt cooked food, but having a lot of salt on its own, I actually went through a long period of doing that because when you have adrenal and especially thyroid issues you have an issue processing sodium or a sodium depletion so i would just be like putting salt on my tongue all the time just just eating and eating salt it's not a really good thing to do so uh uh definitely salt 
your food, but try not to have it um, when you're eating cooked food, but try not to just overdo salt in water. It's not as good as absorbing it when you're in a body of water like a salted bath or ocean water. Very, very good for that. Uh, and then obviously the heat as well. So warming things up, keeping the body tonified with warm water is a good thing. Going to bed with uh, uh, water bottles or something like hot water bottles, something like that. Uh, so along the same lines, gentle exercise is really good for warming the body. Over-exercising is not good for the adrenals at all. will definitely deplete the adrenals and kidney system. Right. Not moving at all is also not good because the body has biological pumps and, and a system that needs to be tonified through movement. So the key is striking a balance and doing tonifying exercises that are not depleting and not being sedentary. So that means things like Tai Chi, Qi Gong, uh, non-strenuous non yoga, like some yoga postures using a lot of strength. So uh, more yin yoga, that sort of stuff. Gentle walking uh, or even waddling, you know, waddling around, slow walking. That kind of thing helps. Don't go running, pounding the pavement, lifting heavy weights if you have adrenal fatigue. Uh, that's what you want to avoid. Tonifying exercise, making sure you're still moving and breath work. That can help a lot as well. Uh, and then the other thing uh, along those lines is with the foods, what can really help is natural glands. So you can obtain, which you generally have to these days ask around to get it, but a thyroid gland from an animal, fresh, health, fresh and raw from a healthy animal, and also an adrenal gland or kidneys. So once a month, it's usually a good idea to have some offal, which is some raw liver, some raw kidney, some raw uh, whatever, you know, raw organs can really help to tonify that element of your body. Uh, so yeah, wow. either the either the organ or the gland or both. And it only has to be had irregularly. That's not something you have to have every day. Very, very potent, high energy food, energetically high energy. And obviously because of the source, you have to go through a lot of animals to get a lot of glands, which is not like a in an overall scheme of things, not a good thing to do. Good thing is you only need that occasionally. So that can help as well. Uh, and then from there, if if you do all of see what most people do is they go straight to pills. They don't do the lifestyle things, which basically your pills aren't going to work. If you're still doing the lifestyle things that are draining the kidneys and the and the adrenals, doesn't matter what medications you take, because even if they were working, you're still depleting it on the other end. You have to plug that hole that you're depleting all that energy from. So that's your lifestyle, your thoughts, your food, your water, your, your everything. That all has to be plugged first. Then if that's not having as high as an effect as you need, then you can look at things like desiccated um, glandular supplements. And if that's not working, that's when you would, as a very, very last resort, look at something like a medication, like thyroid medication or something. But that's like also not a, that's not a complete um, solution either. So I just caution people against using things like uh, hormone therapies and that because they definitely can have an effect, but that's a short-term effect. The long-term effect is generally not good. And um, just, just basically make sure you're doing everything you can in your power to rectify what's draining that energy. Like what we've, I think we were talking about it ourselves last time is that sometimes it's not what we learn. It's just what we remember that we always knew. And so sometimes it's not a matter of like having to take all this stuff in. It's a matter of just plugging the hole that you're actually draining it from. And then that can rectify the situation in the first place. Mm, all such good wisdom. My gosh, thank you for sharing. There's one last question I'd love to answer that's come up in the in the chat if you feel like you have time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's about uh, tobacco and smoking cigarettes. Like there's obvious, uh, you know, it's been demonized here in Canada that, that you're you're practically a pariah. And, yeah. uh, you know, so what's your, what's your feeling about tobacco? I know there's parts of the world where you go in Europe and it's just a normal part of life and they don't they don't talk yeah. about the scary side. Yeah. So. All right. Um, I'll handle that. I just for some reason, when you brought that up, it brought up something else about the adrenals, which is the, the so sexual funny. energy, which and that's highly that's deeply rooted in kidney and adrenal. So uh -huh. if you're a man, especially uh, what tends to happen, I've noticed this by studying a lot of people with adrenal fatigue. And it happens a lot in women as well. They tend to get very, uh, they have a high sexual need when they have adrenal fatigue. And I think the reason is, is that when you stimulate, when you are stimulated sexually, it stimulates the adrenals and things. So if you're feeling suppressed, it can make you feel alive. And so they tend to get an addiction towards that feeling. Men as well, but seem to be particularly in women. Now, it's important to regulate that energy well, because that is our, that's our source energy. Sex energy is creative energy, is our kidney adrenal energy. That's like our source energy. So uh, we need to be careful with how we use that. We don't want it to go dormant. We want to be able to stimulate it, but not overstimulate it. And of course, that means for men as well, it's a good idea to hold on to fluids. Uh, if you're having sexual activity, better to um, you know save uh, ejaculation, for example, for specific times or whatever, and not just have that as a uh, just a willy-nilly kind of promiscuous energy that gets wasted because that can also heavily drain. But it's a highly creative energy. So sometimes it's good to actually get that moving and then use it creatively, do some artwork, make some music, create something with your hands or whatever, rather than just use it in a sexual sense, use it in a creative sense. Creativity helps with adrenal fatigue. So that I don't know why that came up when you said that last sentence, but it just did. So That's with so tobacco, funny. yeah. With tobacco and cigarettes, uh, tobacco is not that harmful. Cigarettes definitely are. There's nothing in a, in a modern-day cigarette with its plethora of 400 and something chemicals that's going to be any good for your body. So I will make a big distinction and differentiation between smoking and cigarettes. To me, they're two different things. Cigarettes is literally just vaporizing uh, or smoking chemicals. Smoking to me is a different thing because you might be referring to marijuana or tobacco or like some kind of, uh, you know, uh, hallucinogenic or it might be cocoa or something like the amount of different things that native cultures have smoked. It's not like just tobacco. So there's a differentiation to be made then. I'll say cigarettes, shelve those. Uh, if you smoke, at least wean yourself off of that onto organic stuff, organic tobacco, not laced with chemicals, at least do that. Uh, there seem to be some benefits to tobacco. There are some health benefits to it. However, the lungs are not designed to take in smoke. The body is not designed to run on caffeine. For some people, though, it doesn't seem to affect them as much. Like you and I, Beth, can't do caffeine. Other people can drink eight cups a day and have one right before bed of coffee and they'll sleep okay. It doesn't mean, though, that the caffeine is not an irritant to the digestive and nervous system. It still is because the body, it's an, it's an irritant to the human body. And smoke is not is an irritant to the lungs. It doesn't matter whether there's, there's benefits in um, tobacco or not. So I guess the, the broad answer is that don't have cigarettes. They're definitely bad. Uh, tobacco, not so much. I really can't handle it if somebody's smoking a cigarette around me. But if they're smoking a tobacco pipe, I actually quite enjoy the, the aroma of that. So I'm not, not fussed by that at all. Uh, and then smoking various other substances, you know, up to you. At no point is it really good for the body, but there's also the element of what's it doing for you? Is it really relaxing? Is it really 
uh, is it a wholesome activity? The flavor of the tobacco just gives you a real sense of like earthing and earthiness. Then those elements of enjoyment can outweigh the, the negative elements of what it's doing to your lungs, for example. And we've all got to die of something one day. So just trying to be as pure as possible shouldn't necessarily be the goal of everyone's life. So that's why I don't discourage smoking of natural substances. If it's natural and chemical free, I don't discourage the smoking of that. I think it can be a good thing for you to do. I definitely discourage the smoking of cigarettes for many reasons, not just the health implications, but the impact on the environment from the manufacture and distribution of the chemicals to what happens when you throw those filters somewhere. Even if it goes in a bin, it's still going somewhere in the ocean or whatever. So there are a lot of uh, negative effects of that. However, smoking uh, tobacco through a pipe or smoking a joint that's rolled in hemp paper with no filter, you throw that on the ground, it's just going to decompose and be good for the soil. So, you know, there's definite distinctions and differentiations between what you're smoking. As far as the social aspect, I think most people these days are pretty against people smoking cigarettes in public places. It's funny to think back, even when I was a kid, people smoked on airplanes. Like to think think of that now, it's just like, how could that even be a thing? And in restaurants and airports, somebody just light up a cigarette next to you at the table and just like, that was a thing. And, and it's funny to think that at that time it was acceptable, but it probably never was. It's just that people didn't want to get into fights by asking somebody not to smoke because it really offends people to either have smoke come at them or to be a smoker and have somebody ask you not to. It's offensive. So I, I kind of like the societal agreement where you don't smoke in public places because at least... It takes away that element where people were getting into fights over that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, the, the societal element I agree with. And I think it's one of those things that uh, just pick your time and place. You know, I get how it might be to be a smoker and to feel like it's something I really want to do, but I feel like I can't do it or I feel like uh, a shame around it or whatever if I, you know, because of public perception. And in that case, just have like pick your times and stuff, you know, if you're addicted to it and you you feel like that because you're addicted, well, I think you got to work on that for sure. Because if it's not just done for enjoyment, then you do have a problem. You know, some people just smoke a pipe because they love it or a cigar, but they certainly don't have to do it all the time. So the fact they can't smoke in a restaurant or a public place doesn't bother them because they're just going to wait till they play poker with their buddies or they're in their, their man cave or they're at home with their friends or they're having drinks with their friends and Whatever it is, you know, they have the time and place and then it's not an issue. So I think that's a larger topic if you want to go down that road another time. But I think that's the shortest way I can answer that question. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I think that helps a lot. There's there's a lot of different. I'll just very quickly say I wrote in the, the um my book is going to come to you. It'll take some time, apparently, from the delivery. It's stupid. I'll send you a PDF if you're if you want to get right at it and uh yeah so, cool yeah, right. the, the chapter the chapter on the hedonist is uh, is really about that relationship with pleasure and how mm -hmm. it does roll into addiction and what what is the difference between the healthy pleasure and and i'll just you know uh, spoil it right now it's the purposeful pleasure it's not mm -hmm. the it's not the one driven by emptiness it's the one driven by some kind of purpose like this is part of life we're, yeah. we're not meant to have a desert of life. That's why all these restrictions are taking away the, the basic quality of life and, the, and and bringing us to the simpler pleasures. Like, oh, I get to see my friend in, in the flesh. Oh my God, that's amazing, right? Like just a little walk with a friend and it's like <laughs> this, mm. you know? So yeah, yeah, your relationship with pleasure, it's a really good one to, to get clear about. Definitely. Yeah, that's good advice.
Thank you. Well, this has been amazing. And it just it just keeps according in folder. Like every time you say something, I'm like, oh, my God, I think we need to do another yeah, yeah. <laughs> thing somewhere down yeah. the line. You're, you're a wealth of, of knowledge and wisdom. And how would people, if they wanted to work with you, be a client of yours, work through some kind of issue on the on the on the health side or, and, and the emotional side as well? What, what would you uh, recommend they do? There's, well, you can sign up to the mailing list on tombarnett.tv, uh, but you can't contact me through there yet. So in the meantime, it's info at globalbiodynamics.com. That's my uh, email address. And so, uh, oh, yeah, you just put it up. Yeah, so that's the email address. That's the best way to, to contact me for any inquiries like that. And uh, I have a book too. It's called The Common Sense Guide to Food. It's just an ebook, and that's available at barnettbooks.shop. And uh, it's just uh, it's a short ebook that I wrote that mostly is more about the psychology that goes behind food as well as having some recipes and some some uh, diet related advice in there as well. But that's something that can get you started on just a, a little bit of alleviating some of that, uh, you know, the overthinking and the stress that can be surrounded. Uh, just something as simple as eating. There's so much confusion around that. So I wrote that book to give a little bit of uh yeah, kind of alleviate that and I wrote it with a bit of kind of humor and stuff too so it's not super serious but it contains a lot there's a lot of simple concepts in there but within the simplicity if you unwrap that there's a lot to unravel as well okay excellent so definitely go and grab a, a copy of that ebook and if you want to work with Tom which I would highly recommend especially after this conversation it's hard to agree with me on the health side so <laughs> uh, you can right. yeah you can email him info at globalbiodynamics.com and uh, but thank you so much, Tom. It's what a what a great pleasure it's been to have this conversation. And too bad we're so far away because I'd I'd be coming to have a drink of rainwater or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe one day. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, that's one of the best things about this whole uh, scam thing that's going on is I've met so many great people from around the world, like way more people than I ever would have connected with before. So I'm quite grateful for that. Me too. You got it. As soon as they say, don't, don't connect with people. I'm like, Oh, that's all I want to do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so great. Sure. All right. We'll have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you everyone in the chat for coming. Uh, there is by the way, a primal power course coming up April 18th. I'm just about to drop the, uh, the early bird news on that. So you can sign up for it. And, uh, you know, especially where we are losing our power, we can get it back in a lot of different ways. And, and one of them for sure is, is uh, just tuning in with what you're suppressing about yourself that it doesn't feel good so you suppress it and that's your power that goes down the drain so this is an opportunity to get back to that place working with archetypes that are meant to deprogram the wo new world disorder there's no order in there it's all disorder <laughs> all right everybody i hope you have a rest of a good rest of your day and we will talk to you soon i don't know when i'm coming on but it uh, will be a surprise <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Beth.